Welcome to the Bayesian Conspiracy. I'm Inyash Brodsky. I'm Steven Zuber. I'm Jace Dickey. And today we have a topic suggested by one of our patrons, which we'll be diving into, but not until after our sequence posts, because we always do those first. And we always have. Yes. <laughs> well. No, we haven't. You know what? We've always <laughs> been at war with Eurasia, so <laughs> same thing. We've always done the first. Um, our first post is called Burdensome Details, which is a continuation of the conjunction fallacy that we've been talking about for the past couple episodes. Yeah, it starts off by reminding us that the conjunction fallacy occurs because we substitute judgment of representativeness for judgment of probability. By adding extra details, you make an outcome seem more characteristic of the process that generates it, even though that makes it less probable. Um, and I wanted to start out this with going into a little bit of feedback that we got, because um, in the less wrong post specifically, it said that this is one of the most controversial findings and people are always uh, denying it and arguing against it. And I was like, hmm, that's interesting. I guess that's why it's been researched so much, but I don't know why it would be so um, controversial. And then on our Discord, just hours after we posted the episode, someone was arguing against it and saying like how this is uh, why it doesn't make that much sense, which I thought uh, brought up a really good example. So I'm going to read that. Please. Oh, interesting. Yeah, um, so the uh, user, who was again why we cur, says um, that the conjunction fallacy actually makes sense, doesn't it? It's like saying Superman will violently murder 10 people. Who are terrorists about to murder 10,000 people? Um, technically, the second example adds extra information uh, that is that makes it less likely. Just Superman will violently murder 10 people is less likely than Superman will violently murder 10 people who were terrorists about to murder others, right? Well... Because there's many reasons he could murder 10 people. Right. So, but, like, if you told me that Superman murdered 10 people, I might find that implausible. If you told me that he murdered 10 terrorists, I'd find that more plausible because mm -hmm. that's how Superman rolls, right? Mm -hmm. But if all you told me is that he killed 10 people, they could have been uh, supervillains, they could have been bank robbers, they could have been terrorists, they could have been uh, whatever, you know, space aliens that were invading so like if all i knew is that he killed 10 people i would guess that they were bad people mm -hmm. right um and i think i would be correct in guessing so because i already have the character of superman right like i already know a lot about him yeah mm -hmm. like uh, except that he doesn't kill people so i think it's very improbable that <laughs> but like with with the examples <laughs> and, and, and the hypotheticals, oh, wait, he did kill people didn't he you know uh, it's batman that's never killed anyone or like superman they also they supposed to not that. to yeah anyway yeah. But I think they both were forced into it every now and then in the comics for dramatic purposes. And in Man of Steel, the movie. Right, but that one was the most terrible movie from what I've heard. You know, I maybe because I never cared or knew about Superman, but I liked it. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay, I never saw it because I just heard it was so bad. It was like one of the fun Superman... Like, the only thing that... I, I never liked Superman because... And as Batman very well puts it in the uh, Batman vs. Superman movie. Because <laughs> like, Batman's so much better. Because, no, no, Batman, in, in, in those... He's... Eh, whatever. He's, he's a less fun Tony Stark, but... Um, the like superman's not brave mm -hmm. you know you, if, if you're literally invincible mm -hmm. you're not interesting to watch you take down the enemy if you can move at the speed of light and uh are impervious to all damage like it's not fun watching you solve a problem right when spider-man jumps in front of a car and has to catch it you see him put the force into stopping it right like he he could get killed well most uh, of the good superman stories are ones that don't focus on can he punch the other guy and survive? Yeah, it's like right. a moral dilemma between yeah. Yeah. you have to make like two bad choices. And... Like the, the whole, the original Superman movie with Christopher Reeves, the, the whole thing was like, is he going to save um, this town from being killed by a nuke or is he going to save Lois Lane? And 
The answer is obviously both. <laughs> it turned out to be both. <laughs> it was a flying back in time magic, yes. But oh, I didn't know it was the t- I didn't know it was the backward in time one. So he's yeah. fast enough to fly back in time, but he's not fast enough to catch Lois Lane falling off a building and whatever how she is going to die and catch the nuke. I, I really want to interject, interject that music, <laughs> that magic uh, explains logical inconsistencies <laughs> clip right now. <laughs> Should we get a soundboard? But but to but to address why we Kurt's actual point, like I think with uh, was it Linda, the feminist librarian or something. Mm-hmm. Um, like we don't we don't know anything about her character. Mm-hmm. We only know what's been provided. So like, I think that granted it set it up like the kind of person who's going to be active in the feminist community. But I maybe at this point it's it's worth just like actually looking at the the math. Whatever whatever you look you know, if you if you draw it out and you say here's the po- space possibilities where Superman kills ten people. Yeah. And I'm going to draw another circle for where Superman kills ten terrorists. Mm-hmm. It'll have to be inside the one where he kills ten people. Mm-hmm. And if I were to throw a dart at that at that uh, those two circles, I would more likely hit the big. You know, I. I you see what I'm saying? Yeah, I yeah, think, I do. So I think there's a slightly like higher probability that Superman would have killed ten terrorists than ten people generally, but I think it's such a small blip in the math that it still is just like so much more probable for A than B. I also love how he used the Man of Steel to steel man this position. Uh. <laughs> well, Weaker did say that um, I think the fallacy is that instead of reading the literal meaning that Superman killed 10 people or Superman killed 10 people because they were terrorists, the way it's read when you read the statements is Superman killed 10 people for no reason or Superman killed 10 people for some reason. Mm. Because in real life, no one would just say Superman killed 10 people and not say anything else. So uh, well, you might see a news headline like that, but <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so I think it's more about like how our brains process it because if it doesn't have the explanation in the end, you it's yeah. implied for no reason. I think that's why and newspapers should... do that too because like there's a compulsion to be like, but why? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pick it up. Like, wait, what? Why? Why did that? You know. So what you should always think is that append at the end for any possible reason we can think of as opposed to for no reason i think that's a good point about human psychology like there's something really unsatisfying about a versus b yeah (laughs) i think just like as creatures that like to gather as much information um and and hear complete stories and because like like you said no one would just say the first one and not tell you the caveat unless there was no caveat to give unless it's clickbait or, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. well, no, I'm, 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 ra- I'm raising that because uh, I was catching up on the backlog of the Mind Killer podcast, and you guys mentioned the headline, which I heard about, that uh, uh, one of the people involved in the one of the largest vaccine trials for, for uh, uh, COVID vaccine died. Yeah. And I remember seeing that headline. Mm-hmm. What I didn't remember doing, or no, I must have seen this because I saw it on Reddit, and I always click the comments on anything that is interesting. But not in the headline. It was someone in the control group. Yes. <laughs> and so, like, so he died. but but it was reported left and right that somebody died in in the vaccine trial. Yeah. And so you can bet if I, we had a Superman I and Superman that, yeah. killed ten people, that would be on the front page of every newspaper that you could click and get ad revenue on, right? And you'd have to go to Reddit to find out <laughs> it was ten terrorists. Yeah. Exactly. So Stephen, when I, I hadn't heard that, so when you said the beginning of that, like that somebody who was involved in this trial died, I thought that the punchline was going to be, but not of COVID. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, like, I was, like, already just so suspicious of that headline. Right. Like, like as soon as you said it, I was like, okay, but... <laughs> I, I'm waiting for one who's... Where's in, the but? I'm, I'm waiting for one, yeah, in the uh, in the experimental group who gets hit by a car. And they're going <laughs> to they're gonna report that the, someone died in the, in the vaccine attack. trial who received the vaccine died of a car accident. <laughs> <laughs> the vaccine maybe makes you less able to control cars. <laughs> 
They would actually probably have to put that in the adverse events. Uh-huh. Oh, God. Uh, effects, rather. The One of my jobs when I was doing clinical research is to just, you collect every bad thing that happens to everybody who's on an experimental drug. So you could be on, like, a drug for um, diabetes, but, like you break a nail and you're like, you're like, my nails are breaking more easily. You got to write it down. You don't know if it's oh, a side shit. effect, uh-huh. but there was a really funny, uh, oh, this is such a aside. Uh, never mind. <laughs> There's a funny story about something. Is it short and really funny? Yeah, I can shorten it. It's both short and really funny. We, it's totally worth it. Yeah. I was going to have to drag I forget, that out I forget some of the details anyways. I'll, I'll just shorten it. But there was, um, some, uh, CRC was collecting AEs for a drug and one of them, was there was a guy who came in and said uh dogs are following me around and she's like i had to write it i had to put it down like legally and then it turns out that was a real side effect of the drug in males it like changed your sweat to create a scent that was attractive to dogs holy shit (laughs) she's like that was one of my instructors actually at the research boot camp and she used that as as an example of why you should always record all the AEs. (laughs) That is a wonderful story and I think that's awesome. And now I need to ask, was it would it make dogs follow you in an aggressive manner or because like you smell like another playful dog? Because if that's the case, where can I get this drug? (laughs) Because I was just thinking that (laughs) I mean what if it makes you sexually attractive to dogs? I would mm, not want that. If it just made me seem like a playful dog. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my God, every dog wants to play with me now. Yeah. (laughs) I don't care what else this drug does. (laughs) (laughs) You can market it as like uh as just that, right? I think it was a heart attack drug, but I don't remember. Well, I don't want heart attacks either. Perfect. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> like double bonus. Uh, it stops heart attacks because you feel so happy. I was just thinking so that too. You. It's like maybe that's how it really works. <laughs> maybe that's its me- mechanism of action. But I do like the takeaway from Ivy Curtis thing that if you don't include any details, the brain might autofill for no reason. And I think as long as we're careful to safeguard against that, that sounds like good wisdom to take from that. I would want to test like. Batman killed ten criminals for some reason. <laughs> Versus oh, just have this that second yet. one. Like, yeah. but then if you know about the conjunction fallacy, or uh, you might be like clued I, into what they're testing for. I feel like uh, the, I feel like the the statements Batman killed ten people and Batman killed ten people for some reason have equal probability. <laughs> like, for some reason encompasses all possible reasons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah unless but, for no reason. Unless like, for no reason is the default thing that people think. Sure. Yeah, I think you'd have to ask two different groups. Probably. Yeah, uh, which they yeah. usually do, I think, in these anyways. So, That's okay. why I'm not designing That would be a fun test, though. If we can find some way to ask a bunch of people that somehow aren't on the Beijing Conspiracy Discord, because I'll have heard about this. I mean, if we have a listener that goes to Comic-Con and wants to just randomly ask people <laughs> one question or the other and record all the results. But You're right. We no should, we probability. Should ask, we should ask people who don't know what the conjunction <laughs> fallacy is. So, yeah. yeah. All right, yeah. Anyone who can get this information for us, I'll send you 20 bucks. The right. first person who gets it. I can't do it to everybody. Right. Yeah. It just reminds me of the thing where uh, comic book cons like bring really good business to restaurants nearby because nerds tip well. But like if you're in a casino area, the casinos lose business because nerds know statistics. <laughs> <laughs> cool. That's why they don't have... Oh, they probably do have comic cons in Las Vegas. I think LA Comic Con is like the biggest. Yeah. The world or the New York Comic Con might have been. LA is where it started. So I would imagine... Or LA or San Francisco. It's in that... Damn it, it's one of the California ones. Like the California one. Yeah. As a non-Californian, I just have San Diego, San Francisco, and Los Angeles all as one big city in my head. Yeah, no, like, me too. It's surprising how far apart they actually are. It's But like to me, like I don't care. Right. Like, they're on the coast. They're in California. They're the same damn city. Like, Jace, if you told me your friend worked at Burger King, 
And then he told me today they work. They moved to a different Burger King. I don't bother. I don't bother picturing a different Burger King, right? <laughs> it's to me, it's like they work at an abstract Burger King that I don't care where it so is. So you're saying your mental image of California is like generic beach with like palm trees, yes. high, yeah, high rises, and like the, a highway. A precisely, of, a bunch of very attractive but shallow people that want to act but are trees. doing waitressing instead. <laughs> that yeah, that definitely was in LA. Oh. There were some very bizarre people in LA when I visited. I think the only fun. reason I don't think of that about San Francisco is because now I know San Francisco is where all the nerds are. There's some different weird people in San but Francisco. But just within a few blocks of Los Angeles, so there's a lot of intermixing. In the next generation, we're going to have very attractive, very smart people because <laughs> San Francisco if only. and you're Los counting, Angeles are the same town. You're counting on the smart people breeding with pretty people. That's true. Yeah. Or vice versa. It could happen. <laughs> I mean, the what pretty we people talking are about busy again? being waiters, and, the, and the, <laughs> the smart people are making tons of money, so they just hook up with the, the people who don't have that much money. Perfect. Yeah. All right. And they just automate all the waiters' jobs. Oh, we, shit. We've solved that problem. Yeah. Then Did, they got to start getting jobs as house husbands. Was there, I want to get a was there any other, house husband. Uh, anything else on the YB Curse feedback? Because I found that valuable, but if there's anything else there, I want to dig it out. That was basically the, the whole gist of it. Nice. Well, thanks for that. That was awesome. Look mm-hmm. how good Steven got it segueing us back on track. Yeah. <laughs> My segue was like, what were we talking about? <laughs> um, so, yeah, let's see. There was... oh, conjunction fallacy. Um, this so, reminds me of in Methods of Rationality when they were talking about the overly complicated plots. Uh, I realized that that was probably... A Elias, you're trying to put conjunction fallacy explanations in universe. Mm-hmm. And playing with what I think is called the Batman's Gambit on TV tropes, where you need like seven or oh, X yeah. number of things to line up perfectly for this to work. Yeah. Um, you know, like pitch meeting makes fun of like the Joker having all the crazy luck in the world. But I kind of just see that like as his power, right? Sure. <laughs> uh, Maybe you just don't see all the things he's trying in the background that don't work. He well, because the thing powers he... he just doesn't know it. Right. Or like, <laughs> it, it may be, like the thing is he's not trying because he's like, fuck it. I don't care if any of my plans work. Like that's the thing is like, I'm just fucking around. So, um, you know, if, like the, the guy with the cell phone bomb in his chest and the prison that he earned the jail he happened to be taken to or whatever like there's probably I, a dozen things he does that don't work out that we never hear about exactly maybe he had maybe he had a a cell phone implanted in a prisoner in every in every jail across the city and they all blow up at the same time right that would like, be such a good movie yeah. like from the point of view of the joker and you're just seeing all the stuff that like batman never notices or something because <laughs> he like didn't advertise it right i've watched that <laughs> So we were just talking about one way to avoid um, the conjunction fallacy by uh, saying in our head of all possible reasons rather than, uh, you know, for no reason. Uh, And this post is basically the same thing, like how can we avoid the conjunction fallacy? And what Eliezer says is that forecasters would have done uh, well to, would have, could have avoided the conjunction fallacy uh, by noticing the word and. And being very wary of it. And not just wary, but leaping back. And uh, even not knowing that they were going to get tested afterwards about the conjunction fallacy or anything, they should notice the conjunction of two entire details combined by the word and, and be shocked by the audacity of anyone asking them to endorse such an insanely complicated prediction. I mean, yes, but like I, I like the general theme of it, but then you could say because of or due to, right? Yeah. 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 What you need is just like you just need to be able to notice that there's two different things being that was uh, what made me here. think of methods of rationality where there was the like as soon as somebody starts talking about a plot that has like more than two steps or what what was it or like more than two details that have to go right yeah they were like oh like complication what was it um penalty for 
complexity. More yeah, epicycles, yeah. yeah. That was when he was arguing with himself. I could, I, my memory I of it is like now identical. Uh... But Draco's father said the the limit on how complex something can be is three things going right at once. And since you never wanted to yeah. push things all the way to the limit, the practical limit was actually two. Right. Right. So, like, I feel like if you could just get some kind of word like complexity penalty, which might also, you know, apply to this, yeah. that that'll just jump out as soon as you see like probability of this and this. You just like, whoa, wait complexity penalty the that's what one. makes communities so helpful because unless you're as uh able to bifurcate your brain as harry is um like if i'm talking with my other rationalist friends about my steps to accomplish something they'll be like wait hold on that's actually you know you're you're conflating that these all things will line up this way having an outside view is super helpful right mm-hmm. yeah and he literally says what we just said so maybe i was remembering him saying this but uh eliezer says Regarding the U.S. and Soviet Union suspending diplomatic relations, the scenario was not the U.S. and Soviet Union suddenly suspend diplomatic relations for no reason, but the U.S. and Soviet Union suspend diplomatic relations for any reason. Yeah, as we were saying. And so, like, it ends with that thing about um, futurists and universes, where, Mm -hmm. like, there was uh, some friend of Eliezer's was really impressed by this futurist who was saying, like, this will happen and that that'll lead to this technology and then like making all these complicated predictions and Eliezer is like tried to just say um I think that's you know conjunction fallacy the person didn't get it so he's like okay so and then uh I don't have the article open but what was the thing he said about universes uh is it here I can find it okay universes replicating is simpler than universes replicating for these reasons yeah uh, that the futurist gave or something Hang on, I've almost found it. Oh, it's more probable that universes replicate for any reason than that they replicate via black holes because advanced civilizations manufacture black holes because universes evolved to make them do it. Yeah. <laughs> and he said, oh. <laughs> I like that. This is where a whiteboard just comes in handy. Mm-hmm. And like, it, it, I, I mean it. You just draw a circle and be like, here's all the reasons universes replicate. Here's the three epicycles where it's your, your theory, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> It doesn't mean it's wrong. It just means that it's necessarily less likely than it happening for any reason. The point I think he's hammering on, and um, it should have been stated more explicitly in this post, in my opinion, but um, what, what he did say is that they people need to feel a strong emotional impact for Occam's Racer. Yeah. Feel every added detail as a burden, every single extra roll of the dice. And yeah, I think that's if humans could feel Occam's Razor as a literal, literal emotional uh, reaction, <laughs> that would help a lot. It's too bad that we can't, like, program that in. Yeah, but we can try. Yeah, I mean, like, you could try through propagating the idea of conjunction fallacy and then people, like, knowing to say, oh, complexity penalty. But, like, people in the rationalist sphere know that. People outside not only don't know that, but don't want to hear your explanation. Plus, they'd be like, what the hell is a complexity penalty? (laughs) Isn't (laughs) it a complexity bonus? Yeah, that's what I mean, though. Like, that's you, you can say that to another rationalist and they'll be like, oh, like, catch themselves. Yeah. And you can do it much more quickly than pulling out the whiteboard. Because in most, like, you know, in dinner with your family, if you pulled a whiteboard out, like, well, maybe other people's families are different, but mine would be like, we don't care. Stop talking about the the science things at the table. (laughs) I like the the end here. It says, for it is written, if you can lighten your burden, you must do so. There is no straw that lacks the power to break your back. Which reminds me, I haven't made this assertion for months. We need to do, at least, not probably an episode, but we need to, maybe we'll sub out the sequences for the 12 virtues of rationality at some point. Yeah. It's oh, very yeah. artsy and fun. Like the, it's written in like this high. If you haven't, I imagine most of our readers are familiar with it. But it, it's written in this like high prose kind of language that 
if, if it was your only exposure to Yudkowsky, you'd think he was some nut job. Because it's like, why does he talk like this? <laughs> yeah. with all this flowery language? Yep, yep. But it's like, no, this is supposed to, it's supposed to copy that reverence and our reverence It's supposed and to stuff. look like it should be chiseled on a stone yes. tablet exactly. and put on a capital it's, front lawn. It bothers me that he chose 12 <laughs> instead of 10, though. I do not have 12 mm. fingers. When I'm trying to list the virtues, uh. I run out of fingers. <laughs> Uh, well, well, when you go through it, we'll see if there's any that we can chop. Okay. <laughs> this reminds me of George Carlin's bit from oh, uh, yes. uh, Complaints and Grievances where he compiles down, uh, or, or yeah, where he, he reduces down the Ten Commandments to two. Yeah. Which is <laughs> He's like, always oh. always be honest and faithful to the provider of thy nookie and try really hard not to kill anybody unless the person believes in a different visible person than the one you believe in. <laughs> <laughs> if, if, you break down all the, if you break down all the commandments and throw out the useless ones, that's what you're left with. Yeah. Um, I did enjoy the few that he just threw out. He's like, "Thou shalt not envy." Our whole economy is based on envy. That one's going out, <laughs> right? Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe like for solstice, we can come up with the twelve virtues of rationality as opposed to like the twelve days oh, of Christmas and sing it. Yeah, that could be fun. That'd be a way to actually remember them all. All right, what is evidence? Yeah, sorry, it's just trying to imagine the beat to that song um it would be really hard to crunch yeah. into but it would be really fun for somebody not me I'm sure hey somebody do this there's there's definitely there's a rationalist choir and we should link this I'll, I'll add it to our links but somebody in the bay rationalist community made a like rational sing-along chat room thing and you can log into it if you like singing to sing with people either i'm guessing like whatever songs you both want it could be like the songs that people sing at the various rationalist parties or how does that work with latency they um it's explained in the post and i'll I'll link it okay uh they they built a thing for it and it doesn't have video i think but the latency apparently is there's a built-in mechanism for handling it Remember back in the day when we had high-quality landlines and there was no latency at all? <laughs> and you could like literally yes. hear the other person taking a breath to say something? I God, felt so good. much more comfortable doing phone calls on like, a wired phone. It was like, basically like having someone in the same room as you, but yeah. they're being a, like you were blindfolded. It added so much more data to conversations mm-hmm. that like it made me less anxious. Like I, I have really bad phone anxiety or anxiety over any kind of like calls because I need to see people's body language, facial expression, tone of voice. See, like, I didn't know that because I don't even like looking at people when I talk to them. So <laughs> <laughs> you're probably looking at them out of the corner of your eye, though. I mean, like I'm humans that there, do yeah. that, and that you get a lot of data from that. And if I'm missing all that data, I get really like insecure about whether I am interpreting people correctly or if they're interpreting me correctly. VoIP is really hard because a lot of times, like if someone wants to signal they want to say something, they do it by intaking a breath. And by mm-hmm. the time you hear that on VoIP, due to the second or half second of latency, you've already started the next word. So then you're talking over each other and it's just, it's yeah. awful. I've noticed since coronavirus that a bunch of podcasts have gotten worse to listen to because people aren't recording in the same room anymore, mm-hmm. um, which we probably are doing the same thing, but it, there's just a lot more people talking over each other. I think, I think on the last, last mind killers, we talked over each other quite a bit. I think the quality of the ones that we record in person is probably better than the ones we do online. Yeah. Definitely. Um, at least for our show. All right, so we have what is evidence next? Walking, walking along the street, your shoelaces come untied. Shortly thereafter, for some odd reason, you start believing your shoelaces are untied. <laughs> Light leaves the sun and strikes your shoelaces and bounces off. Some photons enter the pupil of your eyes and strike your retina. The energy of the photons triggers neural impulses. The neural impulses are transmitted to the visual processing areas of the brain. And there, the optical information is processed and restru- reconstructed into a 3D model that is recognized as untied shoelaces. <laughs> There's a sequence of of events, a chain of cause and effect within the world and your brain, by which you end up believing what you believe. 
evidence is an event entangled by the links of cause and effect with whatever you want to know about. And I'm, I, I'm pretty sure this isn't like unique to Eliezer, and maybe, maybe it is. Um, I'm sure someone has thought of this or said it before, but I really liked this um, being put in such concrete terms because yeah. I hadn't seen that before in my readings. Like this description of evidence uh, being the entanglement of your eyes and your brains and your shoelace. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he goes on to specify, not quantum entanglement. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> but like, yeah, uh, I like the, you have to have eyes and a brain, Yeah, which... He, Again, he, not literally, because if your retina ended up in the same state, regardless of what light entered it, then you'd be blind. But yes, that, that, well, that's what he means by blind. Yeah, and like <laughs> you, you can you can have beliefs about other sense inputs right. too, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the idea is that yes, there needs to be something that happens in reality that impacts something in your brain. Yeah, yeah. yeah he says this is why rationalists put such a heavy premium on the paradoxical seeming claim: a belief is only really worthwhile if you could, in principle, be persuaded to believe otherwise. That's yeah. Mm-hmm. I like having. And I, it's really good that we're like reading back through the sequences, but I like pulling things like that out because I do occasionally like run up against somebody who doesn't think evidence is a good reason for something. Oh, <laughs> like, like you get this a lot with uh, uh, creationists where that's like, why, why, yeah. why wouldn't you believe in God? And I was like, there's no evidence. Or why don't you believe in X? I, I, there's no evidence. Mm-hmm. And they're just like, well, and then they'll just keep arguing. I'm like, but that's the end. <laughs> <laughs> The, the best ones are like, like... Maybe you don't understand what I mean by evidence, but... You give like the problem of evil and they're like, well, yeah, sure. Logically, that makes sense. But then, <laughs> you know, yeah. what, what do you care so much about logic for? And it's like, well, uh, all right, have a good day. Goodbye. Like, uh, and, you know, it, on one hand, that sounds dismissive, but it's like, I can't, I can't argue you into believing the, the, the laws of, that govern organized thought, yeah. right? And the thing is, you believe them too. You not you believe them. You operate that way. You know. You turn your car yeah. wheel left to move left every time because that's. If your child gets sick, you take them to the hospital. You don't just pray, right? Yeah. Like unless you're one of those insane people who does just pray and then their child dies. Well, I'm, I'm just thinking of like everything else they do, right? They 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 set things down rather than toss them because right. they'll break or you know whatever. Like their entire life, they operate in in logical evidence based ways, but then they pretend like they've got this exceptional area that they don't touch but it's like unless you're gonna draw they don't know what logic is there that's why i like feel like you could just street epistemologize them from first principles like okay do we both agree on what logic means or what evidence means here and once you get them all the way up to saying yes then you can go back and say but there's no evidence (laughs) i want to i want to pursue that further but before we do i wanted to also read this um other thing he said about evidence which uh I thought was an important consideration. He says, not every influence creates the kind of entanglement required for evidence. Mm. It's no help to have a machine that beeps mm. when you enter winning lottery numbers if the machine also beeps when you enter losing lottery numbers. <laughs> so the light reflecting from your shoes would not be useful evidence about your shoelaces if the photons ended up in the same physical state, whether your shoes were tied or untied. So for it to be evidence, it has to happen differently in a way that's entangled with the different possible states of the target. He's just like rose path walking us to like the Bayesian definition of evidence yeah yeah, yeah. that's why you shouldn't play slots yeah <laughs> yeah there's he also a... says this that if photons reflect off your shoelaces and hit a rock the rock won't change much <laughs> it won't detectably diff it won't be detectably different depending on whether your shoelaces were tied or untied this is why rocks are not useful <laughs> witnesses in court <laughs> a photographic you, film will contract shoelace entanglement from incoming photons so it can act as evidence 
If your eyes and brain work correctly, you will be entangled with your own shoelaces. <laughs> yeah, rational thought produces beliefs which are themselves evidence, which... And then uh, he goes on to say, if your tongue speaks truly, your rational beliefs, which are themselves evidence, can act as evidence for someone else. And I was like, ah, that kind of... And then I was thinking about... I thought there'd be read like Heinlein's Stranger in a Strange Land. Yes, that's good. Yeah, there's well, like the character of the the true witness mm-hmm. who's like somebody whose job is to like just be a professional rationalist and always tell the truth. Yeah. <laughs> and so like it's somebody who can act as like in the their their what is it? First person testimony can act in the place of evidence. I I think there's a good example of this. I don't mean to cut you off, but like no, uh, <laughs> a month or so ago, when you when you mentioned on the air that uh, global warming was not a significant in, uh, impact on the giant wildfires that are probably still burning, but everyone mm-hmm. got bored with, so it's not in the news anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, at least the smoke's gone. Yeah. So, uh, like, I think it was reasonable for me to update in the direction of global warming was not that impactful on the wildfires when I heard that from you, mm-hmm. because I assumed that you had done your homework because in general you're a reliable person, which is fine. And I am now more inclined to believe the next thing you say, because as soon as you learned that you were wrong about this, you corrected it. So so the the next next time you make an assertion about something, I'll be like, Oh, okay. He's not going to make that mistake again. Right. Mm. Well, I try not to, and we all try not to, but it's like, it's, 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 uh, um, I think that if you have a source that updates, uh, based on like new evidence and or admits that they're wrong, yeah. that makes them a way more reliable source. Yeah. Like yeah. if someone it just says they're right all the time and you point out that they're not and they just ignore you, then it's like, all right, well, why would I ever believe you again? This reminds like, me of, uh, I had a boss who just liked every movie and every movie, like we'd come out of it with him going, oh my God, that's the best movie I've ever mm-hmm. seen. I got to buy the DVD like right now. And, and, and I just got to the point where I was like, I can't trust you for video, for movie recommendations. Yeah. <laughs> or like, you know, you can generally like, you can trust certain people by reputation of like person who, yeah, like has discernment in some sense. Like. That's why Simon Cowell's opinion is actually important. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As opposed to Paul Abdul, who loves everybody. I don't uh, understand why they always have that dynamic on shows. Because you need someone that the audience can relate to. Because the audience wants the the people to win and to be nice. I guess. Yeah, and Simon Cowell has to be like the dad who's like, no, not good enough. <laughs> Go gonna, back to your room and practice. I'm going to use an example of a of a show that isn't garbage like American Idol. Because mm-hmm. I recognize the name Simon Cowell. And I'll mention the Great British Baking Show. Mm-hmm. Where the judges <laughs> are both like, one's more Simon Cowley than the other. But they're both harsh and like... Yeah. you know very judgmental of it but they have two non-judge comic relief people okay. that are there to be like i think it looks great yeah. oh my god that's awesome and they're, they're, they're there just being super supportive yeah. and so though like that's that's the way it should be right the judges should be as critical especially if it's a, yeah. if it's a you know contest mm-hmm. as they as they constructively can be but then you you if you if you're at home and you want the people who worked so hard all day on this to feel good about it yeah. you want the uh the people there being like oh my god that it looks so good or whatever right mm-hmm. yeah I just wish they didn't always cast the person who's actually like, like Simon Cowell is cast in the position of the bad guy. Like he's yeah. kind of the villain, like a, yeah. a, a lovable villain, but like, or um, Gordon Ramsay, like same deal. Like, except he doesn't watched. have an opposing person saying the food is great, does he? <laughs> does Does Paul Hollywood? You said Gordon Ramsay. Oh, have a reputation about what? Sorry. Does he have a counterpart that says, oh, this is actually what you did pretty good? Like, no. Oh, he's, this fit is great. <laughs> his, his stuff is basically by himself. Yeah. Um, like, That's why I have a lot of respect Maybe they for should him. put him and Guy Fiero together. Oh, my God. Him and Guy Fiero just, like, deep fry and love everything. 
I, I don't, I've never I seen either of these that. shows, but that is the opinion, uh, impression I get. I don't watch a lot of... Uh, I'm, I'm just draw, draw a blank on that chef's name. Gordon Ramsay. I don't watch a lot of his stuff, but I've watched... Uh, all of like Cutthroat Kitchen, which is hosted by Alton Brown, who didn't he didn't judge the food. There was like a blind judge that would come in and, and judge the food, um, but they would always say something complimentary about it, even if it sucked. Mm-hmm. And then they would rip it apart and be like, "Here's why it sucked." That's yeah. When when I'm in my writing group, it's the compliment sandwich. Yeah, you always start out with something you liked, <laughs> and then you're like, "And here's where you took a giant turd." Here's a healthy helping <laughs> of this sucked, and uh, but your punctuation was spot on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you need something good at the end as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I like so I like this line that if your tongue speaks truly your rational beliefs which are themselves evidence can act as evidence for someone else but it's also like really hard because I like it's as I sometimes repeat things that I've heard that I didn't investigate myself or maybe didn't investigate but it enough but you tend to like I don't know so I trust people in the rationalist community because they'll like if I, I I feel like if people like see something and they they haven't necessarily verified it, they'll be like, "I don't know you know, what my epistemic status is here, but like I saw this thing." Like mm-hmm. they won't just say it as though it was true. Yeah. Like I I feel like a bunch of people that I know in the rationalist community are like somebody whose opinion I would absolutely trust because they would like tell me as much as they knew about the thing. Yeah. And with the global warming fires thing, I just I hadn't heard of that before, so when I did hear it, I updated way too hard on it. Well, David's also, like, I think it's a fair reason to update on what he said, right? Yeah. And and he did say it rather, he did make, I think I, I, I'm i behind, but I listened to the episode where he walked back on that, because he's like, I think I, make, I made too strong a case for it. I think he did. And so, but the, how strong his case was made, you're like, oh, he's done his, he's done his due diligence, and he's otherwise reliable. So, like, I think it was perfectly reasonable, but that's, that's why this process isn't without a misstep. It's, it just gets yeah. you more reliably in the right direction. I think yeah. if, they're talking about the idea of, um, what it's was also- it, of ideas being uh, contagious, mm-hmm. and I think that... It's not necessarily, though, the thought that it's like a one-to-one, like, I have this belief, I tell it to Stephen, now Stephen has this belief. It's like, I I tell you a thing, Stephen, like, updates 80%, that thing's probably true, because Jace does the research, huh? <laughs> <laughs> or, like... I was nodding. And then the next I, person I, that, down that, that, that sounds is about like, right, yeah. you know, you tell Rachel, and Rachel's like 60%, and etc. So, like, you're, you're propagating the beliefs, but, like, smaller amounts of them. I think it's also really helpful if you have, like, a back-and-forth network with these people, so you can update as they update yeah like that that was what i was thinking too because like you were saying david said this he was too then then he came back and said oh here's an update and then you updated based on his update which is how it should be that's how science works well i think you went and tried to go verify this and then found that you couldn't and you're like oh i was wrong right um again scientific method though it's like it is an influence but i i greatly overstated how much of an influence it was and how i understated that the the global warming part right and it's one of those things that makes a community valuable. You know, like yeah. if, if I go to the discord and post something that's not true, someone will call me out on it. Yeah. And uh, I, I'm sure there's a relevant XKCD where it's like the fastest way to get information is just to go out and say the wrong thing. And someone <laughs> on a forum will correct you. So you, mm-hmm. you can save yourself the time of doing the primary research. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's really funny. I wonder if anyone's tried that. Um, I'm pretty sure I, I've seen someone do it at least once. I don't remember where it was now. Uh, someone I met uh, in the, who's active in the community, Alex Chen was, uh, for a while like the number one person asking questions on Quora or I think asking and answering um which like it was this ridiculous amount like at the peak of their productivity I think they were like asking 50 questions a day wow (laughs) asking or answering but like 
that's like in you know in search of positive answers i I wonder if anyone's tried to just like do the opposite thing where they just like i have this belief that x Mm -hmm. (laughs) and see if like a bunch of people coming screaming at them this this doesn't come out till wednesday right (laughs) yes i'll try and think of something to put on discord and i'll just i'll we'll test this before it comes out (laughs) okay all right and then now this the best part is that i get to say i knew that you know i won't actually have sounded stupid even though i said this because i said it in advance but they won't hear it until the future right yeah all right, my, my, my perfect excuse to make something up. I'll give it some thought. Are you worried that after this, they'll never be able to trust a thing that you say on Discord? No. No, it's just a one-time thing. You're and coming on saying it right now. They're welcome to distrust me as much as they want. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I hope no one trusts anything I say anyways. <laughs> <laughs> I try to be honest and reliable, but like no one should take anything I say as facts. I so. trust your like, media recommendations. Oh, good. Oh, maybe that's it. I'll recommend some, something terrible. <laughs> that, sounds, that sounds nice and harmless. I All don't right. know if you can, because... There are people who really love terrible things. Uh, I'll think of something. Mm-hmm. Okay. If I'd be like, oh my god, Batman versus Superman knocked the Avengers out of the water, right? Some of course, they'll, they'll, really they'll, just like, like, but they'll never believe that coming from me. All right, yeah, I'll, think, yeah. I'll think of something. All right. Uh, so we're just saying about rational beliefs being contagious. Um, yeah, it says they're contagious among honest folk who believe each other to be honest. And that's why I claim that your beliefs are not contagious, that you believe for private reasons which are not transmissible is so suspicious. If your beliefs are entangled with reality, they should be contagious among honest folk. And that is why I personally don't trust religious people. Because they have access to special revelation and uh, the rest of us just have to believe them. No, that sounds like bullshit to me. I mean, I'll trust their recommendation on how to improve a recipe. Right. Depends on what they're saying and, and who the person is because religious people range from... This is one special domain where magic applies and then everything else just like works logically, like, you know, doctors who are religious, but still like I would trust their opinion about neurotransmitters. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, then there's some people who it just colors everything. But he does say that if your beliefs are entangled with reality, they should be contagious among honest folks, which, okay, that sounds right to me. But then like, how do they know that you're i i don't expect like people in a different culture than me to necessarily exactly. be contagious by my ideas even contaged. though yeah <laughs> infected sorry <laughs> that's like it. there's a word for contaged and it's not contaged what what on earth would culture have to do with it, that tra- sort of transmission i mean there there are i trust other rationalists but like but there can be beliefs um that but like somebody in my cosplay in group, certain... not necessarily, unless I knew them well enough to know that they basically would, then I would introduce them to the rationalist community. <laughs> oh, I, I guess I was thinking, it depends on the, the particular belief slash claim. Like if, I, I don't care who says don't mix ammonian bleach when cleaning your bathtub, like they're right. 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 So like, but then I think things like um, having a minimum wage is harmful. It, that is something that I would not expect to, for example, cross over into the socialist or even democratic um tribes at all even though you know someone who says it may be a rationalist and may believe it to be true but i don't think they should consider that to be contagious to others because the this guy's a rationalist doesn't mean anything outside of our community except for like maybe some sjw's thinks it means something bad yeah but if a more conservative rationalist and more liberal uh, or a more i don't even want to say conservative and liberal if a more red rationalist and a more blue rationalist met i don't think they would expect some things to transfer over i disagree disagree i I mean like you and wes and david aren't i don't know if it's a red blue divide but there's different colors there but i think you guys you know when you're not jokingly disagreeing i think you aim to find some sort of ground in the middle right like if it's if it's just straight politics stuff then you know david 
plays his his role as the obstinate like I refuse to to concede one millimeter of ground on anything about government <laughs> and uh, like but I, I get the impression he's kind of playing a role like yeah um, he might actually believe everything that he's saying as strongly as he does but if he's that confident I'd be uh, he, he seems he seems way confident I think he's for, hamming it up a little exactly I, th- I think he's having fun but like you know if you guys are arguing about some actual effective yeah. whatever particular real thing what I've seen is um. Rationalists on either side of political divides tend to agree on facts, but they have different opinions about moral weight of things. Like yeah. someone, like I don't know, I think guns are bad, and somebody who is all like pro guns, uh, or you know, same with any issue that gets divided um, along political lines, where it's not really that they disagree about the fact that like this is happening this often. It's more of how much of a problem is this, which sort of uh, yeah, that plays a big part. Like it's, yeah. they don't disagree about the data. They're not. It's not like arguing with, uh, you know, and, and it sounds like we're harping against religion, but it's just an easy giant target. Mm. It's not like arguing against somebody about how old the planet is. It's like, because I mean, that that's just, we, yeah. we can we can look at the available truth there. Um, I didn't want to like make it about abortion, but like, I was just thinking like the best example really I could think of is like somebody saying, like they both agree on how often abortion is happening, but a democratic rationalist might say, and I think it's fine because I assign more moral weight to a woman's choice. Where a red rationalist might say, like, I, like, actually am concerned with these, like, proto-humans being killed. And I think that it doesn't weigh out morally that way. I find myself comfortably in the middle there. I think, I don't I think, think every, a... I think every abortion's a bummer. Yeah. Um, even in their events to save someone's life or whatever, like, it sucks. You know, humans, I think, are, are a special kind of, of, uh, animal animal and <laughs> and uh, I was going to say being, but yeah, like, and, and every time a life gets extinguished, that's a bummer. Now, that doesn't mean that it's wrong to have abortions and I, the least bit you, you can have something where it's both like the truth can be a bummer, right? So, or, you know, the, the best choice can be a bummer as it is. This is by far the best choice. Easy access to abortion is the way to do it. Um, I absolutely agree, but I can see how I, can see I how don't, I can... don't expect someone who's even, even a rationalist on the right side to necessarily be infected with that belief. And yeah. I don't know, does that make my belief less legitimate because I don't expect it to be contagious in some cases? On the other side, like, I, I have seen Democrats say that, or, you know, uh, left leftists who believe in abortion say that, like, not only is abortion, like, fine, it's great, I'm pro-abortion because I don't think that, like, fetuses have any moral weight at all. Like, they'll go really far to the extreme and make things up about, like, they de- they can't feel pain, like, they can't, you know, like... I think they've just been mind killed. Well, at that yeah, point, but at that and point, then people on the refusing... right that are saying, like, you know, a soul is imbued on conception, mm-hmm. which, like, I, I wouldn't expect a rationalist to say either of those things. They would say, I don't know whether or not it, like, when it, it has sentience, it does suck that something that might have sentience or even, like, a conception of pain uh, and doesn't want to experience pain, that sucks. Uh, they Like, I would never imagine somebody saying, nah, it's fine, they have they have no soul, therefore they, I don't know. Or, or somebody to say the opposite, that, that yeah, there's a soul. I don't know. Hmm. I, I felt like that was explaining what I was trying to say more, but I, I might have just made it more confusing. Well, maybe rationalists are just less extreme in general because they uh, take other people more Rationalists seriously. are definitely more extreme on things like AI risk. Like, I think... Uh, but that's because we're right on that one. <laughs> <laughs> I think we do tend to be more moderate just because we assign less probability to things. Like, people that are able to say, I 100% believe that this is true, mm-hmm. versus, like, 
me personally, I don't know when sentience appears in a developing fetus, and I'm like comfortable saying I don't know that. And therefore, there's ambiguous moral weight on killing it, depending I, on what stage it's in. Yeah, I think and the there, likelihood that it's at the you know it develops at this stage versus this stage. Right, it's not going to be at exactly 62 days or something, right? Like mm-hmm. who knows? But it's. I mean, maybe it is, but it, it would be weird to say, oh, we found it. It's this exact second yeah. after after uh, fertilization or something. But um, it's like you mentioned that uh, I forgot how it came up, but uh, SJW is not liking rationalists or something. I think part of that might be because we tend to have moderate beliefs in a lot of things. Yeah, exactly. Like, and, and so both sides read us as being on the enemy's side because we like right because they be, can't be, fit us into either category. Being be, well, yeah, exactly. If you're not 100 percent on in our camp, only shooting the other way, then you're one of them. And if but, I'm, but, I was just gonna say, like the, it, the the weakness that they see is the strength that I see is that we're able to like actually see the other side of the, the argument and admit that there's merit to it. Mm-hmm. Now, That's what I was going to say. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there, so there, there's, there's merits to positions I disagree with. It doesn't mean I agree with them. It means that I can acknowledge the merit of it. Even, hey, I see where you're coming from. I think that's a good point. I think that the cost-benefit analysis still comes out this way. Yeah. Yeah. Even on positions where, you know, someone may be in, on the extreme side, they still are willing to talk to people on the other side, which is seen yeah. as a no-no by a lot of people. Yeah. They're just monsters. You can't talk to them. Exactly. If you talk to a monster, you become a monster. They're, they're, that's how vampirism works. And the other side is vampires. Anyway, uh, are we done with uh, sequences? Uh, let's see. I think we had one thing at the very end. Uh, I'll, I'll grab go it. Ahead. Okay. So try to explain the kind of thought processes you use to systematically produce beliefs that mirror reality. Explain why you think you're rational. Why you think that, using the processes like the one you use, minds will end up believing snow is white if and only if snow is white. If you don't believe that the outputs of your thought processes are entangled with reality, why believe the outputs of your thought processes? Processes. I really struggle with that word every time, but um, yeah. If you don't believe your that the output of your thoughts are if your thoughts are entangled with reality, why do you believe your thoughts? Yeah. (laughs) What I shudder to think that there are definitely people who feel that way, and they're. Uh, I don't know they, how they, I think things. Well, well, but I mean, I I think that if if they're really like I can't trust my thoughts, they're they're in some sort of psychological crisis. You know, a lot of people might just be like, I feel it in my gut. I suppose. Yeah, there's like intu- intuitive. But but they're part of their evidence for their thought is their gut feeling, right? Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, like Which they, they actually still... like people's gut feeling is pretty good when they do they have a lot of experience. Various. Well, uh, it, yeah, it depends. Like, yeah, you you get like um nurses that can like be like oh shit that person's about to have a heart attack for no reason anybody who's not a nurse can discern because they do have that much experience or like also we just have a bunch of general heuristics as evolved beings about like if you feel nervous about a person um like if somebody's giving you a bad vibe uh you might trust that or i don't know that's a bad example because then that gets into like but what about if black people give you a bad vibe if like you 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 will um be more satisfied with your meal (laughs) they have tested this if you look at a menu order the first thing that looks good and then just close the menu as opposed to if you read all the things oh that's cool because of option paralysis i've kind of made that comparison unconsciously my my own like way of doing it because once i've once i've made the decision it's like well i'm not going to sit there and like you know oh i should have gotten this occasionally but then i've never i don't know maybe i i've never tried to operationalize like how much did i enjoy what i got but then i'll just get the thing that i saw that you know the that i thought i might like the next time or something remember when you used to go to restaurants and go out to eat <laughs> right and that feels, case, it feels should, like ages ago <laughs> in that case i should um randomize where in the uh menu i start yes because otherwise i'd always end up with something near the front of the menu 
or go to one of those expensive restaurants that only has like five things and they hand you, it's like a placard Mm -hmm, and it's mm -hmm. got a nice printed thing. And it's like, here's the three or four or five things that we have pick one. And it's like, well, I've seen everything and I don't like uh, these two. So yeah, I'll get this. Um, I don't know. I tend to look at a menu like just by sort of blurring my eyes and skimming around it. And the first thing that jumps out, Mm. I guess you do get tend to get more things like towards the beginning of the menu if it's got several pages, but like that's fine though because it's still me getting a thing I like. It depends where where I'm going to. If it's a breakfast place, I'm like, where's the pancakes and eggs? Yeah, you, like, <laughs> you, you go to the section that you know you're gonna like something. Exactly. All uh, right. Anyway, so for next time, the two sequence posts we're gonna read is the lens that sees its flaws, which is one of my favorites, and how much evidence does it take? Yeah. How much does it take? Find out in two weeks on the page of <laughs> Exactly three evidences worth. <laughs> Evidence units. Yeah. All right. Our main topic was uh, we had our patron who was apparently a patron for like three years. Nice. Long uh, time. Lucas or Lu- Lucas Z. Uh, it's L-U-K-A-S-Z. Is, I, I think I remember this one. Is it the L with the line through it? Maybe. Yeah. Okay. It's probably Wukash then. Oh, because I think he's a, a Polish listener, and my Polish is really, really terrible. Particularly, I'm barely literate. When I was a kid, I could kind of read some Kajoic Matoic, which is like um, Matthew the Goat, <laughs> <laughs> kids, kid stuff. But I think that would be pronounced Bukash. Right. right on. Um, I'm glad that you knew that because I did not. I was going to say either like Lucas. <laughs> I kind of trusted that you would know how to say it because SZ is also how your name ends. Yes. So I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, this yeah. sounds like a, an Inuyashi understandable word. Put that together. Um, um, so he wrote in, or they wrote in, asking about immortality. Um, does somebody have the email? If, if, do we want to like pull out? I just have the, the, wording or? the Patreon uh, uh messaging that I was having back and forth mm-hmm. okay um in short I, I we can find the email in a minute too but it was uh current longevity efforts um would be a good conversation topic uh Aubrey de Grey David Sinclair Michael Fossell is there any chance that our age I'm 40 will reach the longevity escape velocity right I guess we should briefly say what the longevity escape velocity concept is longevity escape velocity is the idea that at whatever in, at time x will invent some technology will will popularize some technology that will increase the average healthy human lifespan by some number of years. At some point in those number number of years, there there may be other life extension technologies, and lather, rinse, repeat. You you know, if every five years you're finding technology that increases the lifespan by eight years or something, you're going to live for as long as you want. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right now, I don't know how fast we're discovering life extension technologies. Um, I'm assuming it's less than that, that well, every, we, maybe every 10 years we can expand life by one year. Right. So we're not, at, we're not at escape velocity yet. Yes. Yeah. But uh, we also don't know because we don't know which things we've already like discovered yeah. or helped. Like we don't know how long, well, that's the exact question. We don't know how long we are going to live as compared to our parents, compared to our grandparents. Um, but can and we, we don't reach, have enough data yet to really sort of plot it. Can we reach the point where the average extension in life discovered every year is more than one year's time right and that's that's the the that's the million dollar question right like i wanted to put this one off a little while so i could do some homework and i didn't become an expert in in two weeks but i did try and learn some um i mean and none of it's the scientific stuff i basically sort of assumed jace would know all that so i I came at it from the other direction um like aubrey de gray is my go-to figure in this community um i think he's in his 40s but he Looks a lot older because of his awesome Gandalf beard. He's got um, like, wait, he's awesome got to be older wizard than his beard. 40s. 
I no, think, I think he's in his 50s now. Well, now, uh, now he is, but you're right. Up. But in any case, I remember I was watching some interview with him a few years ago, and he was uh, he was in like 45. He's 57. Okay, so this must have been more than a few years ago. In any case, he was... He and was... his name is Aubrey David Nicolas Jasper de Grey. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> what? Like Albus Percival Wolfric yes. Brian Dumbledore? He or looks Brian like Dumbledore, too. Look at him. Like, this is our Dumbledore, you guys. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, so... Sorry, Stephen, go ahead. <laughs> no, no, you're good. Um, so, like, I think he, he rightly points out, so he's the um, chief technical officer at the Methuselah Project, or foundation, I forget what it's called. Oh, uh, the um, Sense Research Foundation. That's Sense. right. Yeah, he uh, dropped the Methuselah thing then, right? Society for Engineered Negligible Senescence, I believe. Yeah, and also um, vice president of new technology discovery at Age X Therapeutics. Okay, well, I was going to say you guys know more than I do, but you're looking at his Wikipedia. You're cheating. But <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's no, helpful. I'm, I'm glad you got the it internet. right. <laughs> in, in any case, he's, uh, um, he's the CTO over there, or he was at least a few years ago. My information might be out of date. And he, he has to spend most of his time kind of uh, basically evangelizing for getting the message of what they're trying to do out and trying to get money. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, I think he, I think it makes a very compelling case that this is like a, an important problem to solve, which like to us, it's like no shit. Mm-hmm. But to a lot of people who, uh, you know, some people think don't exist, Brian, uh, <laughs> but a lot of people don't see this as a big problem. They see it as the, as the way life goes. Oh yeah. You live, then you get old and you get decrepit and then you die. Like that's Or they the nat- even think it's a good thing. Like, right. I, all the time hear people like death is advocating for like death is really important and great and it's a it's we should celebrate death it's what gives life meaning yeah i just brian has read lord of the rings right yeah yes. he's a lord of the rings nerd and i mean fucking what's his name um J.R. tolkien uh wrote that death was the gift given to mankind yeah, that I know. The elves it's... are cursed to have to live forever unless they die of sadness or I... are slain. Which, I mean, that's a big loophole right there. Like, if you don't like your life, you can just kill yourself. But, um, but yeah, yeah the that gift anyway. that humans got was that they would shuffle off this mortal, mortal coil more quickly. And like, yeah, that's a bullshit in, gift. In just a few decades, where you get like an optimal four decades. How, how can it... how can someone who's read Tolkien, who says death is a gift, claim there's no deathists? I think that he thinks that they exist in the same way that flat earthers exist. I'm not. I'm not going to try and sit here and, and okay. either poke holes or steal man Brian, but I yeah, do think. Yeah. I, I don't think he would argue that they don't that they aren't real. He would just say that like this That's is this common. is not a majority enemy. Okay. Um, and he might be right about the majority part, right? Like I think most people uh, would say, yeah, death sucks. I wish it didn't happen. Mm. You know, anyone who's lost somebody would probably say, I wish that that didn't happen. Well, they um, would say that specifically, yeah. Right. But so, at least when I was young, the whole death gives life meaning was still a common talking point. And it still and is it, now. Is um, it still now? I, mean, I thought it was starting to be less so. I, I guess most of my stuff is 10 years old, but I remember even watching a talk from Sam Harris during, you know, the the peak of the new atheism thing. So this would be like 15 years ago, basically making that case. A okay. lot of the new and, atheist stuff, like the part I had trouble with was, yeah, a lot of people were like saying that death is great as like a way to sort of you know when they're listing all the benefits of being an atheist and versus like being religious they're like and you get freed from this idea that there's such a terrible thing as like an eternal pit of torture and like you know what death is natural and fine and we like this is just people's people who are scared of death like come up with these crazy ideas in order to deal with their fear but we atheists are strong and we can face death with stoicism and respect and dignity and i was just like yeah not me i don't want it <laughs> i think i think part of the knee-jerk reaction <laughs> i'm that scared you get, of it <laughs> that you get from otherwise smart people about saying hey i think death is bad and we should stop it 
is they they get like that same sort of like oh I've heard this argument before you're trying to sell me on an afterlife yeah mm. and so you're like that sounds like magic right so I, I I can get where they're coming from but at the very least it's a common enough place or common enough idea where like most people don't see this as a problem that we should be working to solve they might they might say it sucks but they're not like and we should do something about it have you seen uh, all of the good place yet yes so spoilers have you seen all of this I have not but I don't care about spoilers all right massive spoilers anyone who doesn't want to know how it ends skip ahead about a minute maybe two. Now, uh, but from what I heard, I'm still working through the final season. Uh, at the end, it goes full deathist, where they're like, "And dying is great." At the end, you choose oblivion rather than getting to live forever in the good place. Basically, the way it ends <laughs> is that they they get to the good place, mm-hmm. and everyone there is kind of just like not exactly uh, um, wireheaded happy, mm-hmm. but they're basically that, and they're bored, okay. and they've done everything, which seems weird because they didn't they weren't creative with everything they did, but etc. Um, I'm given, to, you know, that's fine. If you, if you got a lame utopia, that would suck. Mm-hmm. And then they're just stuck there. And okay. so like the architects who worked on the good place, they've all like, they were all stoked to quit their job when, when the new people were moving in, uh, the, the protagonists to take over. Cause they're like, we've never been able to figure this fucking thing out. No one here is really happy. Oh, okay. um, so the solution they come up with isn't let's give them the opportunity to like respec or start over or um, some other way or to whatever. Be happy. Yeah. The, the way that they did it is like, Hey, you know what? Like at the very least, here's an exit. If you guys want it, you guys can leave. Right. Like now you're not stuck here forever. Well, I mean, I'd rather so, have the suicide option. If right. Existence yeah. was more horrible. The, this is what they got was the suicide option. Okay. So but like, it isn't like, this is the best choice in the end and everyone's going to choose it eventually. No. I mean, I think, not necessarily, but okay. uh, it's, really like, it's, it's not like the second they made this doorway to to no no one knows where, like yeah. everyone ran through it. Okay, okay. but now it was an option. Okay, so it it was it was, but it was still deathisty. Like I feel like yeah. I feel like there's more optimal solutions, but I do agree. Yeah, the like, thing that's deathist about that is, uh, sorry, finish your thought. No, no, go ahead. It was like, I I think that's the same argument that people make when they say, well, why would I want to live forever? You'd get so bored, and I was like. But like people on their deathbed, when they ask them if they want to die, like that, or like they always say one more day. People who commit suicide are depressed, like they're living in a hell. Mm-hmm. I could see, yeah, if you were forced to live in a hell, but I don't think like reality is a hell. <laughs> reality is excellent in a lot of ways, and, and like if you're somebody that's just gonna die because you get bored, like do, do any does anybody ever commit suicide because they're bored? Unless they're like being artificially kept in like some, you know, I mean, I, situation like they're in jail. Or... <laughs> there's some people who commit slow suicide, like drinking themselves to death or something. But that's like because they're not happy. Like, yeah, I mean, that's because the there's is, shit like, going wrong in their life that could be fixed. If you're or bored, their brain, yeah. like depression's a solvable yeah. problem. And I think that like the the main thing is that like right now I have a backlog of easily 200 years of things I'd like to do. Yeah. My current trajectory. I'm not on track to finish all those things. I Mainly because I make no effort to getting through that list. I mean, and so, like, but if I had uh, 200 years to do these things, you can bet in the next 200 years I'd have a backlog of, if I did the math properly, I'd get a different number, but 1,500 years of things to do. I don't think we're do. ever going to run out of stuff to explore or problems to solve. Like, and that's, that's the thing is, like, you know, right now there's a thousand books I'd like to read. And by the time I finished reading them in 200 years, because I'm a slow reader, there'll be a th- there'll be 5,000 yeah. more books that I want to read. Lather, rinse, repeat until I'm, I'll, I'll never run out of, as long as people keep writing books, then I'll have books to read. I absolutely and, agree with all you guys, but I do know that there's some people who are just like only doing the same thing over and over and are bored of it and are just ready for it to end. And But that's you don't, solvable. I know, you, but <laughs> for some reason, like they just, they don't find the ability to 
to do something different and not be bored. I understand, and that that mm. and I and mean that's a bummer. I've, I've, I think that's probably partially depression too. Yeah, I, I think, think it, that that's I, not normal. I like, think that is basically depression. Like, in, in, whether it's it's like clinical and, and fixable with or, or with therapy or, or drugs, but it's like your your life is not doing whatever it needs to to make you give give you that. But that is also like something that can be fixed. Yeah. Um. Like, I I think I talked about you know my recent jumping onto antidepressants and stuff, and I found that beneficial. Um, it's weird. Like even in my most depressive phases, like there were days where it's like, I would get up and be like, and not exactly have the thought. I wish I wasn't alive mm-hmm. because I knew intellectually that like, no, I, I want to keep living until I can fix this, yeah. but I don't have the energy to want to keep doing that. Right. Yeah. But, but I, but I understood intellectually that I would, if that I wait I would... long enough or do like some interventions, I'll get back to Steven right. who wants to live. Exactly. <laughs> and so, I, I mean, Granted, some people's lives are a bummer, but like that's the thing is, I think that I, I think that is also fixable. Yeah, it's because their and, lives are a bummer. But but at the end at the end of the day, if you know somebody wanted to die, they should bummer. be allowed to, right? Right. Um, but that have to be like I would like it to be a very exercised choice. You know, oh, I know this, this sounds like a you know where they some of the states where it's like you have to get one of those invasive wand ultrasounds or something before you can get an abortion. Oh, like I kind of want something that extreme before you're allowed to kill yourself. Yeah. Um, like in that it, it, it's a, an ugly parallel, but it's like, I, cause this is for sure, man. Like, you know, you, like, cause again, imagine like a future. It's like, are you sure you wouldn't rather just have your mind wiped of most things and we can drop you off in a different country and you can yeah. start, you start scratch, whatever random shit. I think like, the difference that you could point to basically is death. If you have your mind wiped. Um, yeah. So maybe, <laughs> maybe most of it or something. Right. But I don't know, whatever it is. Like I, I, my other thing too, is I never got uh, like suicidally depressed and I, which is lucky, which means my depression never hit that far on the scale. But I always had this, like, I guess when I was first getting depressed, I had like just this understanding that, hey, you know what? If anything ever gets that bad, I can just, I'll get out another way. I'll throw my phone in the river and take a boat to another country. And like, then I won't have any of the problems I have now. This guy, um, I was this ice cream shop owner that I worked for when I was a teenager, um, who used to just have these deep thoughts. Uh, and one time he was like, you know... I don't ever, I don't understand why anyone would ever kill themselves. Like if I, if I ever got to the point where I just felt depressed enough to, to kill myself, like that, you're just throwing everything away. Then like, then you're totally free. Like throw away all your belongings, hop on a bus, go to, like, go do something crazy. <laughs> like, you know, if you're going to die, that's like literally the worst thing that could happen. So go, Might go well try whatever. With yeah. Lots of cocaine or whatever. I think that, that you're, <laughs> Which I think is just a misunderstanding of how depressed brains work. It is. That's but... what I was going to say. Yeah. But you, you got that. Once you're that depressed, you're not going to do that. Yeah. I think the, the what... thing that gives you the will to do stuff, just there's no, there's no engine. There's no I gas. Just in that engine that message was yeah. out there more though. Like that, if you're that suicidally depressed, what you probably do need to do is do something drastic, like quit your job for several months, like put your life on hold, mm-hmm. or like go say the thing you really need to say to that person. Move um, to a different state or yeah, a different country, just change things up drastically. I wish like society supported that more. Yeah. You know, like that that was first of all the message that like if you're suicidally depressed, that means you're free, go do the thing. And then also there was like services, support systems for people doing that there's also the fear when you're depressed that like wherever you go there you are so (laughs) i will go to a different state or a different country but i'm still going to be me there and i'm still going to be depressed there and now i don't have some place to sleep and this is even worse now but i think that i mean like the things that fix depression that like they've studied are things like uh diet exercise sleep um yeah and like 
Which are all things we're going to talk about when we get to the actual longevity part of this podcast. Oh, yeah. (laughs) We were going to have a subject. (laughs) I will say that when I was at the peak of my back pain, uh, if, like, I knew it was just a bad day and I just had to get through that day and the next day would be better. But, like, if I knew for a fact that every day would be like that, I would not want to live. Because, I mean, the pain was really high and also I couldn't do anything that was enjoyable because the pain sapped all my energy. Yeah. And I would have been like, no, this this isn't worth going going forward. That's totally why I think euthanasia is like acceptable. To, but like in a future where nobody was ever in that much physical pain, maybe that would be different. Mm-hmm. But like, yeah, there's definitely like things that can make your life miserable enough that it's not worth the amount of suffering. It's weird because I know there's really good drugs out there, painkillers, narcotics, and like lots of old people are on them. And that like... <laughs> you don't want those ones. <laughs> I know. But I mean, that makes it better. So then you don't have that pain and you can live again, but you don't live normally. You're kind of foggy and can't yeah. do as much stuff. So I don't know how I would feel about maybe trying those instead of death for a while. I would try it first. Yes. Um, definitely give it a shot. Yeah. But that said, yeah, I'm glad you found other tracks to... to being yeah getting better (laughs) yes and all that um it's uh yeah i guess i can find a way to segue this back into the longevity thing which is like you mentioned old people like part of the issue with with dealing with this is that people view these symptoms of aging of just accumulating damage for too long from being alive as like distinct from other problems Mm -hmm. and they are uh, they're distinct in that they have different causes, but they're not they, they they're not in this like separate magisterium of well, this is the kind of things that we don't work on. Um, and I think that uh, I had a more articulate way of driving this home, but I dropped it, so I'll let someone else pick up the wheel. I think okay, so his his primary concern seems to be at forty, and I am also at forty now. Do is there going to be? Can I get on this um, not dying thing? Like, will technology advance fast enough that we will hit escape velocity before I reach 85 or 90 or whatever, where my body actually gives out? And, like, I just, I don't know. I don't think anyone knows. I'm not even sure that people at the very high-end research places could say that with... Aubrey de Grey says that most of the fundamental knowledge needed to develop the anti-aging medicine already exists. Um, And we, yeah, we know which specific things cause um, death-related aging. And we have the, yeah, the, the knowledge I think if, that we need. We just need to, it's, it's about like, are we going to <laughs> put the money towards this or, you know, is big pharma going to keep I personally think he's over, overconfident on that because there's a lot of old people with a lot of money that would be putting money towards that if, if that was as optimistic as he. I think that he's saying that the, the separate pieces are there, but the, uh, the working machine isn't put together. Yeah. Yet. It's, it, it it, not until like we can provably, you know, uh, fix these this this list of issues. Like we we know what they are, we know how to fix them now. But like, is it going to happen in our lifetime? Yeah, it depends on, again, whether um, there's enough of a push by governments and uh, like the private sector and whoever is needed. I think to make sure these things get made in a timely manner. Yeah, I think a few years ago his estimate was something like fifty percent of this being a thing in the next twenty five years. Fifty percent of what being a thing? Uh, longevity technology. Okay. Um. So maybe he's optimistic, maybe he's not, but or maybe he's pessimistic. Maybe he's perfectly calibrated. I don't know. Um. Oh, I'm worried but, it's going to be a lot like cancer, where they think they found the thing that causes cancer and they fix it, but then they just find like another deeper problem so they solved some cancer but there's other stuff that needs to be solved too and it always 
spirals like that where they get a little better and they solve some things but there's always something just out of reach but that that that's kind of the thing is like yeah we're not going to solve aging in one swoop right right um, we're going to get better at it but that you means know? you don't know exactly how many steps you need and so you can't say for sure that you'll get them in the next four decades i think that's why he's that why it's an estimate and not saying i've got a timeline for this deliverable right um there was um uh, sorry you were still talking oh, i was just gonna say i think that a major factor of it is the lack of funding i know that as of I want to say two or three years ago, um, his organization was managing about $5 million a year, okay. which when you think of aging and aging, aging and aging related deaths as like the leading cause of suffering across the entire planet, mm-hmm. that's um, nothing. it's, it's nothing. $5 uh, million can't even pay for a very large staff. Right. Not, so not to mention the facilities and the supplies they would need. They staff about 30 people that work under that, like that they are, that's on their payroll. They work with, they work in conjunction with other communities and other, other centers, but like the, the, the scope of the problem is just completely not acknowledged by the budget. And it comes with no national budget, mm-hmm. right? You would think that, hey, if, uh, you know, I, I would just imagine that China would be putting putting forward 0.01% of, of its uh, GDP towards solving this problem. Because if they got life, exten- life extension technology first, what a boon, right? They could sell that to the rest of the world. They could they could hoard it for themselves and, and be immortal while the rest of us all die. <laughs> like, and that, that that goes for insert any country, right? Yeah. This, this seems like an an easily self interested goal, like with enough self interest to motivate just about anybody to do it. That's why I'm not as optimistic as Aubrey de Grey is on how far along we are, because other people would also see that and be like, I could make bank if I if I, we're I am because I'm cynical enough that <laughs> I've been in the clinical research industry. Um, there's like you know the there's not a guarantee that any particular company trying to find the answer to one of these things would find it. It's just like game theoretically, I guess. Um, if you're trying to calculate the payouts for some private medical organization, it's you're going to make much more money, much more reliably if you like, you know, knock a molecule off of a oh. Zoloft and make a Zoloft like knock off and then rebrand it as a new antidepressant or you know some bullshit like that yeah yeah part of it is that there's no short-term money to be made here and, and there's so, plenty of people you know in government and in high-level organizations that are religious and don't think that death is a problem so you have to first of all convince people that death is a problem and like deal with the fact that culturally we're largely deathist and largely religious like across the world and then like secondly <laughs> You know, um, I think it doesn't help matters at all that because of stringent FDA testing, it takes what oh, at yeah. least a hundred million dollars to bring a In new like market years. drug. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at tw- twenty years, hundred million dollars. Uh, I've heard up to a billion sometimes. Yeah, our FDA is ridiculously conservative. I think. And um, like, if there's a drug that'll expand someone's lifespan by one year. In order to recoup that cost, you have to charge a lot for that drug, and uh, yeah. people aren't going to pay that much money for something that'll give them one more year of life. Yeah, and I th- yeah, that's another thing. I, I mean, think people aren't was that interested, yeah. marginal, like on the stuff that'll provide marginal benefits, because like it's all going to look like stuff that provides marginal benefits right now. Yeah, and you that's know, like, all it'll ever be—just marginal benefits stacked up on top of each other. I'm, I'm curious how. Um... But if it costs too much to make a small margin, then it won't come out like i i really think that this this over regulation making things too expensive to have small margins is going to be a major problem yeah, luckily the margins are going to be small there's not in my opinion going to be one drug that just automatically expends your life by 20 years no there's like i forget how many things um like there's at least a uh, three therapies like or never mind uh, i should find the entire list before i just start saying things but there's it's also why i'm more 
thinking that's going to be come in a different country than the U.S. That's what I was going to say. Country like, with res less regulation. There's other countries that have much less conservative FDAs or like no FDA analog mm -hmm. where they they could totally do this. India, it's just China, that uh, Mexico. That's why, that's, that's why I use China in my hypothetical, not the U.S. China or India. Yeah. India makes a lot of pharmaceuticals. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, they also have a lot of brain drain right now. Which is yeah. going to make it harder for them to progress. So Maybe like Korea, it's Japan. A difficult problem. Could be Korea. Yeah, Korea is really uh, on the cutting edge of medicine. How is their their regulation though? Um, conservative, but I think there might be some fewer restrictions. Actually, I, I would want to look that up. I'm not positive, but I know Mexico is pretty liberal. But again, Mexico use, loses a lot yeah. of its intelligent people to the U.S., especially since we're so close. Yeah, it's a really like it's a difficult country to. I think there's there's other for like um, what were you? I was gonna just kind of pivot a little bit because you mentioned like diet and exercise and yeah stuff. yeah the at least according to Aubrey de Grey five years ago the benefits are basically negligible of on, diet and exercise on longevity yeah it's now I think genetic. on life quality it's definitely a factor and I don't think he hit that point hard enough mm -hmm. I listened to his uh, episode on the Joe Rogan experience from like 2015 mm -hmm. um, like the well, here's an, here's an example he gave. So, like, Japan is the longest-lived country in the world. And in 2015, the numbers were different than they are now for the U.S. But if you guys had to guess, what is the average life difference and life expectancy between here and Japan? So Five years? I heard this before. I don't remember the exact number, but I think it was something like seven years. It's uh, It was four in 2015. So you four. guess you guess guess a lot lower than most people guess. They usually guess around 10 or a dozen. Yeah. Well, okay. I mean, you regularly see, like, people who lived 120. Uh, and I think that would probably skew people's, like, ideas of how long the average Japanese person lives. Right. I think but, one of the surprising parts about that is also that Japanese people smoke a ton compared to the U.S. Well, that's part of what Steven's saying. Um, it's diet and exercise yeah like staying healthy to an old age has like individual benefits but like in terms of um centenarians centarians what do they call them centarians i think uh it's largely genetic and you will see like the people that you know are 120 you interview them and like they they're not like shining examples of doing all the right things like i remember there was a cuban woman who lived to like 110 or something and she smoked a cigar every day because they were asking like you know like what what um i think they actually interviewed her and were asking like what things do you do to preserve your good youth and like it was like she's like oh yeah you know i i go for walks and i talk to my friends and i make sure i always smoke a cigar a day that's <laughs> just keeps me young and i was just like mm. you can really improve your odds <laughs> by changing things because like the smoker with amazing genes a third of them are going to get lung cancer so uh, you can have the amazing genes, but the smoking is still going to stop a third of them from mm -hmm. making it. Yeah, and that, you know, just at the that one woman's, woman's point, like one cigar a day is more like a treat than it is like a. You uh, know, like, that's a significant accumulation of carcinogens over time. But I mean, like, she just had lot, good it's, genes. It's a lot less than, especially like the way you smoke good cigars is not how you smoke cigarettes, you know? right? Assuming you don't actually inhale. And yeah, you, if you do inhale, it's usually a lot less. But like, yeah, if, well, it, I mean, like if she said she, if she said people I, eating like bacon for breakfast every day, though, like, or if she said that she smoked like John Wayne, then I'd be like, okay. Okay, no way you made it to 120, right? Or 110. How did John Wayne smoke? Famously, five packs a day. Holy shit. Which is, if you crunch the numbers, doable, but yeah, hard. Yeah, that's chain smoking as long as you're awake, basically. Right. Uh, you know, if you can burn through a cigarette about three minutes, Ooh, that's, um, that's, that's fast. fast. But yeah. in, in, in high-pressure times, I think a, a regular cigarette smoker can burn through a pack in an hour, um, which wow. is which is one about every three minutes, right? Yeah. I guess. There's 20 in a thing, so... I just, um, I remember like when I was smoking, it would take me five to six minutes to smoke a cigarette. Yeah. So you, you would have to practice to get John Wayne speed. But <laughs> in any case, uh, like, I think there's a lot to be said about like your own, 
like physical well-being whether or not like you're alive or not sure i guess i'd rather be decrepit and alive than healthy and dead five years ago if those are my options if being alive meant that i made it to longevity escape velocity but the the the, the trade-off is like uh is is it turns out in most in according to Aubrey de gray is is not substantial in your own life expectancy if you average out across people who like work out and stuff um in terms of just years alive hmm. but like i'd rather my last decade be a lot like my great grandpa up until his 90s was climbing onto his roof and cleaning out his gutters yeah like and shoveling snow and stuff like right. you know he, he was not bed bound for his last decade and not even close just so, three days ago i was talking to someone whose grandmother um if she ends up lying down like if she slips to the floor or something she can't get up again she has such bad arthritis that uh someone needs to help her up and that was a problem when in the evening she slipped down to the floor and not until her caretaker showed up the next day like 14 hours later and that's why you have one of those like uh-huh. medical call life alert uh, uh, yeah. but and yeah she's she goes everywhere in a wheelchair and basically just spends her entire day sitting in a recliner watching tv because that's all she can do and yeah she made it to 90 but it's not a great existence man yeah i would definitely try and maximize like the amount of fun i could have sitting down but you know that if you have you're so talking much... about people born 90 years ago though like the, the other assumptions are going to be that like other things are going to improve along the way as well yeah certainly it's like... not like escape velocity is like you're like 85 and on the edge of death and then suddenly it's like oh here's the thing that'll you know yeah the people who <laughs> like... are in their 90s now lived through the age when we burnt lead in our gas right mm-hmm. so um all of us are born after that so that's helpful i do Uh, think it's a really good idea to still try to be as healthy as you can to maximize your chances and to to get those extra five years that might be what you need to push you over well and to maximize your like quality of life in your late years those are almost separate arguments too like it also living is has its value and then like being in good health has another value i think they're both yeah well, it also may be the case that, like, if you make it to 70 with a decent functional liver and two kidneys, you might be able to take some of these treatments. Yeah. Whereas if you're at 70 and a lot of your organs are already, like, starting to fail, the treatments that are available won't help you anyway. And so you won't get those extra 10 years that will get you to the next treatments. So uh, I think just being healthier when you're older is good for reaching escape longevity regardless. Agreed. I for do. which I would say, you know... Getting enough exercise and decent diet and enough sleep are all really important aspects. Yeah, for that. I think that's just a good idea. Like that's gonna make your quality of life better. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would. I like. I like. I'd said. I'd rather have ninety years of good health than a hundred and ten years where the last thirty years sucked. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so and I know we've hit this on previous episodes, so I don't think we need to get too far into it. But definitely a good exercise routine and sleep routine is really good for quality of life and life and general health. Mm-hmm. and of, maybe longevity there's a lot of things that could go on that list I, I the, yeah the, well there's another thing which i have not really thought wasn't that important until coronavirus hit and i saw it taken away uh, oh, i think like connection right yeah like social a social exercise regimen i think is also very important like if you mm-hmm. are disconnected from other people that's just going to I think it's going to make you live less long in general. It, it does. It seems, They've tested this. Yeah. It seems <laughs> to be a human need. So like, even oh. if you have social anxiety or something, go out there, consider it like you consider exercise. This is something I have to do in order to have, you know, a longer life and a more healthy life. Here's an interesting thing. Uh, I forget if I've talked about this on here, but I was trying to look up benefits versus like drawbacks of drinking alcohol because mm. I drink alcohol mm. and, uh, 
Me too. There was this like theory going around for a while that like resveratrol in wine or like some other thing in beer that I forget like because they were trying to figure out why drinkers and non-drinkers like the, why I, I forget if they if drinking barely affects your lifespan or if it like doesn't seem to mm-hmm. or maybe in some populations and drinking encompasses a wide variety of behaviors it's probably important to, yeah. to caveat that you don't mean you know killing 24 a 24 pack a day is drinking where yeah. having a beer a night is also drinking right but i'm talking about just drinking at all versus quitting alcohol entirely i see okay. um neurotoxin but uh it turns out that what is actually making the difference is that like alcohol does damage you over time but um it's not like resveratrol it's the fact that people who drink are more likely to be social than those who don't oh son of a bitch um yeah, drinking is a so social like, activity. And the th- most... There's a difference between, you know, somebody who stays at home and just, like, solo drinks and watches TV and, like, someone who goes out to bars or, like, you know, goes out um, okay. to breakfast and gets mimosas or whatever, you know, social thing. Have Has a party and has some drinks. So it's clear evidence that me. socialization, like, a, you know, get, getting out, having a social life, having friends is pro-longevity. This is something I picked up just via osmosis first uh, with my wife's line of work where now she's in hospice but she was mm-hmm. just in uh, like um, nursing home care and stuff and the one of the pivotal things of, of people having longer uh, or healthier later years is having a social network and talking with people. Yeah. Like I know that my grandma, it's a bummer because she doesn't get to hang out with her neighbors as much. I think they still kind of do sitting yeah. several feet apart and stuff outside. I gotta but call my grandmother. We don't get along, but like COVID happened and she was like in a nursing home uh, or in like a fancy nursing home. Mm-hmm. But like they had clubs and they would go on the bus and go to like Trader Joe's and learn cooking and like go to the aquarium and stuff. And now everybody's locked in their rooms. Yeah. It's part of the reason that uh, religious people have a decent quality of life and uh, longevity as well because uh, they have those they built in communities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Built in social aspect every every week and community that's why we need a rationless church which i will someday get around to doing something about we'll call it the bayesian conspiracy perfect um (laughs) i'm glad that your opinions about that have come back around well like the uh what i was gonna say is that you know people will market oh play this game play sudokus uh Oh, do yeah. word searches. Those are good for your brain. Lumosity. You know what's really good for your brain? Modeling other humans as you're engaging with them and trying to anticipate <laughs> what they're going to say and what they're going to interpret about what you're saying, right? Yeah. Like, that is a very cognitively demanding uh, yeah. um, task. Mm-hmm. And if, you're gonna, if your plan is to work your brain, do that. And so people do when they're socializing. I think that's really valuable. My people great-grandparents who lived puzzles. into their 90s, they played, <laughs> they played bridge every, every either once a week or twice a week with their neighbors. Yeah. Like... And granted, those are all anecdotes and stuff, but the the data from my wife isn't. This just happens to be the case, and Jace corroborated. So I'm, compar- I'm, I'm as far as I'm concerned, it's established fact that uh, that having social inter- having social networks as as a uh, in your older age is just beneficial for you uh, mm-hmm. medically and cognitively. Um, I'm realizing that I'm not equipped at all to answer. Uh, how do we say Lucas's name properly? Wukash? Probably Wukash. Um, let us know how we did. Uh, um, but uh, I don't think I'm much more equipped to address anything like more sciencey than any of that. Like this, I did do a little bit to try and get up to speed on it, but there's a lot uh, other than like just reading the pop sci books or reading the Wikipedia pages of the people mentioned in the email. Like there's not much more I was able to do in this yeah. amount of time. So, I mean, we're not done with the episode, but before I, before I forget to plug this, if anybody, uh, if anybody listening knows a lot about this and wants to talk about it, email us at uh 
I just had it up. Bayesian Conspiracy Podcast at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. That's the one. And, yeah, or uh, comment or yeah. put something we, we on see, the Discord. Or I definitely see emails more than I see comments. Send I, us an owl. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if you just don't ping me on Discord, there's a 0.1% chance I'll see it. Um, if you do ping me, there's a 95% chance I'll see it. But email is the easiest way. But any, th- any other medium where you, where you say, hey, listen or ping me or whatever, or ping, ping one of us and get in touch. Anyone but, who sends a literal owl gets all sorts of internet points. Right. <laughs> and as, We will make them a, a rationalist bishop someday. <laughs> right. Speaking of plugging things, I meant to do this last episode and I forgot. Plug a thing. Um, it's not mine. It is... Uh, also, please don't actually send an owl in a cage that I will have to care for. <laughs> Your <laughs> owls make terrible pets. Yeah. But if it, not want. if it flies here and drops off something, that'd be tight. Exactly. Um, and then flies away. Yes. <laughs> okay. Gianluca... I hope I'm saying that right. I've listened oh, yeah. to a handful of episodes. Is or is doing or finished the um, official audio version of the replacing guilt sequence? Yeah, it's ongoing. And I've been listening to it. It's really good. What's delightful about it is that I never got around to reading it, even knowing how valuable it was, because I'm lazy and hate reading things. <laughs> and so I've been listening to this, and I, I said I'd plug it last time, and I forgot. Um, this is great. So you can search for um, the. Uh, we Let's should see. totally link it on this episode. Oh, oh yeah, we'll, well. We'll, we'll go ahead and just link it too. But if you're just if you're going to search it in your thing, it's just called "Replacing Guilt." Find it in any in, in any podcatcher, and it's awesome. How so, many episodes is it up to? Uh, let me double check. Um, I've been listening in order, which I listen to one out of order because the way this thing does it is newest to oldest been, for some stupid reason. Yeah, but, like re-listening to it, which has been really valuable, even though I've read it already. Um, because with a lot of well, yeah, I guess with most complicated long things you don't remember everything or you don't like process everything correctly the first time and especially i think with like psychological things like this where it's here's like a model about psychology that you have to kind of struggle with to like watch how you're interacting with this thing and then like see if you can put like the the intervention in play and then kind of check did i do it right like but um i don't know i've gotten a lot of value out of just going back and then being reminded that oh yeah uh the word should considered harmful like yeah should considered harmful um that's episode if you eight. catch yourself like being like yeah i should go to the grocery store then like you'd be like oh wait should's bad mm-hmm. i need to go to the grocery store so i can get foods so i can continue to live there i've traced my values all the way up and now i can say i'm anticipating something that more strong and motivating yeah i'm anticipating that internalizing the messages of this sequence will actually make me more productive in doing the things i want to do which i'm excited about mm-hmm. um yeah, I, it's, it, you have to dig through some kind of hard, like, entrenched shit for some of these, though. Like, this is really, uh, I don't know, I was raised Catholic. Catholic guilt is a thing. <laughs> as far as I know, I don't have a lot of guilt baggage. I mean, I, I, I have, I I have I some stuff either. I carry around. you got to look like, at your, like, actual behavior, because, like, a lot of the stuff you do is invisible to you. I guess let me say that I know that it's possible to be aware of, like, how heavy your guilt baggage is, right? Or at least have some idea. I'm not carrying around what I am perceiving as a lot but i probably carry around some that i could lose and i definitely do think i I think i could benefit from framing things better and be Mm -hmm. more accomplishing that way like i feel guilty for the amount of like i remember uh when well i was asked at some point like a year ago what uh what's like my guilty pleasure and (laughs) i was like well and and they even the person asking gave the caveat like i don't think guilty pleasures are a thing you know if you're having fun that's all that matters Mm -hmm. but if i had to pick one it's like watching reruns Mm -hmm. i watch uh several hours of reruns reruns. a week and like what you know even as useless as it is to watch american dad i've seen all of cutthroat kitchen twice like you know so as as useless as it is to watch those shows 
you know, even if you're getting utilons out of the fun of it or whatever, fine. But like, there's probably better uses of my time. There's definitely better uses of my time than watching, you know, uh, I don't know. I'm trying to think of the show I've seen the most, but whatever, seeing the show three or four times, like that's a, com- that's a complete waste of time. And I feel bad about that. So I should stop feeling bad about it. And just as long as I'm plugging again, the, the replacing guilt episode 30 came out on October 29th and it looks like they're every week, but if they, it is every week, they missed a week. So, um, when you're watching reruns, a lot of times you aren't watching them anyway, though, right? They're just happening in the background. And there's the other perk with reruns is that, like, it's it's relaxing terrain for your brain. So it's, like, a great way to unwind. Okay. Yeah. Because, so, like, even if you're you're watching Seinfeld, you know, for the second time or something, it's like, you know what the joke is coming. But that means your brain doesn't have to work. You're not, you don't have to follow it. You just get to tune in when the laugh comes and then tune back out. It depends if it's something complicated, too, or, like, something you've watched so long ago that you've forgotten it. Um, yeah, there's some things that definitely benefit from rewatches. And, you like, you, you pick up little jokes that you missed the first time. I've rewatched things that, like, I watched in my childhood. Mm. And that was, that's been really interesting. That's a trip sometimes. It, it is. Um, and uh, I'm rereading, like... I've been reading some stuff aloud to Phoenix or like other people that enjoy being read to that is things that I found personally like who doesn't being read to? I don't know some people don't have the attention span but I love it personally I love reading aloud and being Mm -hmm. read to and like that's something that's been in human culture forever like people would sit around a campfire and they would sort of retell the stories of like the heroes of you know like um story of Odysseus uh the other epic stories of the old myth um and now we have like superman batman etc which mm-hmm. provide the same role but there there is like some desire for repetition like children want to hear the same story before bed because it has that same sort of like there's something calming you about know, hearing it again and again tell us the one about the trolls bilbo yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know how for some whatever bizarre reason the music that you listen to as a teenager imprints on your memories and emotions different than any other music really well that's the most emotional period of your life yeah i was just thinking like for (laughs) at least the last century we've had the thing where there's constant new music and so you know teenagers always have their own different thing that's where like oh yeah hippies have their 60s music which was great and all but it's not my music right i was just thinking like 500 years ago, when literally the only music you had was what people in your village could sing and play, like, literally everyone would have the same songs as their teenage songs. Like, how uniting would that be across generations if everyone had the same feelings about the same songs? Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, and then, you know, your old, your old lullaby when you were a kid was your nostalgia music or something, right? It's yeah. weird because there's some things, like, I, I remember recommending the Billie Eilish album a little bit ago, and it's beautiful and amazing, and I love it. And nonetheless, still, like, even songs that I know are objectively worse that I heard when I was a teenager. <laughs> they have that sentimental value. They have though. a different quality to them that it, I, I, it just, it's, it feels a little different. I think it's really healthy to have both a, a, a bunch of songs or a bunch of artists that you have that sentimental value, like, of this is my childhood favorite song or this is my, like, my middle school jam, mm-hmm. and also be able to appreciate new music. There's a lot of people that sort of, the the songs they listen to growing up in their like 20s and 30s are just the only thing they want to listen to for the rest of their lives. Oh, yeah. That's, and that, that seems that's so sad. That's the aging hippie, yeah. All he ever wants to do is listen to the doors, man. That That is like a universal human thing Floyd. that like large populations of people have, though. And I was... I got really worried that I was starting to have that where like every time I realized that like, I, oh no, I don't like any of the new music. Is it objectively bad or am I becoming old? But, well, the uh, thing is most of the music in so our teenagerhoods were objectively bad too. <laughs> but 
some of the really good stuff is still around. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I tried the Billie Eilish album. I can't understand what she's saying, so I need to just read the lyrics. Oh. <laughs> I'm bad at... Uh, we've, ta- we've talked about this. When yeah, we first yeah. met, you thought I hated music, but it was really just that I don't listen to it because I can't understand song lyrics. Well, no, I usually can't either. I have a very hard time with most lyrics, but like Billie Eilish specifically, I found very easy to understand. I, I'm not sure it, why. It depends. If you listen she, to the same songs over and over, you get better at picking stuff out. She yeah. she mumbles a lot of it, which is fine. It's like it, And it sounds cool, yeah. but like it might as well be in Korean. I think um, what it is with her is she oftentimes says an entire word when she says the word. Like, I mean... That helps. Yeah. 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 Like, uh, Kesha is really good at that. I can understand Kesha music just fine. <laughs> and I mean it. Kesha's awesome. Her, yeah. her album Rainbow was, was beautiful. It was I great. I like Kesha. I think um, she's one of those artists who, like actually has a degree from harvard or something yeah, like that yeah. and like it just has like they play a persona like maynard from tool he makes the most amazing music and some of the lyrics are just uh, shockingly like emotional oh yeah but like it the words the lyrics are stretched to match the music sometimes one word will be spread over several different beats um sometimes uh several words are sh- shoved into a single measure and it uh you know it makes it a lot harder to to understand i had to listen to some of those songs many times before i got 90 percent of the words and there's still some that i don't know that is a trainable skill by the way it's like the same thing with when i first got into doing ems i couldn't hear anything anybody was saying over radio ever and like the the more you listen the more you get better at picking that out i think it's you know the same with foreign languages it's the same with listening to music ems medical services yeah oh gotcha Oh, picking stuff over the radio. Now I get it. I thought you were saying music again. I'm like, well, hold on. What oh. music are you listening to? I, okay, yeah. <laughs> well, I do listen no to some music. No one listens to music on the radio. Not, not on the radio. I listen to some music that like some people wouldn't classify as music. I remember. I really like industrial. Industrial's <laughs> totally music. I love industrial. Yeah, but I mean, like, you know, Coil, not Lacuna Coil, Coil, the British band, where like it's bizarre phrases that, yeah, stretched out strangely, dubbed on top of like a thumping noise that they sampled from the subway. Like, it, Dude, I went to see a band here. <laughs> really artsy shit. <laughs> I went to see a band here in Denver where the percussion was an oil drum that had a chain on top of it that the guy would bang on it. Was this Blue Man Group? No, no. Because they're awesome. This was, uh, oh, what was it? Echo Beds. And uh, <laughs> it was... Echo Beds. It, it was like really well done and i was like this is most people wouldn't like this but they found something and they've managed to make it music and this is pretty fucking impressive <laughs> especially because the venue where i saw them was such a small place i was literally standing about four feet away oh, yeah. from the band and there wasn't a stage or anything i was just right there with the dude watching him do his thing i was like this is this is an intense experience yeah anyway sorry we have gotten way off topic i have a couple of less wrong articles um that were released recently about the subject of aging okay Hit us up. Uh, so we have, what's our true life expectancy, which was asked in the like questions section. Um, really short, so I'll just read it. They, Adam Zerner says, I recently learned that, and recently learned is a link to the stupid questions October edition 2020, mm-hmm. that when they talk about a life expectancy of e.g. 80 years, it's assumed that the future looks similar to the past, but with exponential progress in technology, that doesn't seem like a good assumption. For example, according to Bostrom's survey, which links to just Nick Bostrom's website, 90% likelihood, the median pessimistic year for AGI is 2075. So taking into account technological progress, what do we expect life expectancy to be? 2076 for everybody. Exactly. Yeah. And then like... 2075 and three days. (laughs) So I I can't really like read all the comments, but... uh, there is a bunch of very smart people in the comments saying like what, you know, sharing what things they know as far as evidence goes or like sharing their own predictions. So I recommend reading through that one. Um, and we'll and also the there's notes. some good what, arguments what too. 
Um, yeah, I'll link to both of them. It's what is our true life expectancy? Gotcha. Um, and then there's another one, which was uh, Three Open Problems in Aging that was posted even more recently um, by John Wen- John S. Wentzworth, or John Wentzworth, <laughs> uh, which is a longer article, so I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it's talking about um, atherosclerosis and how much oxidation, uh, senescence-induced senescence, uh, senescence, sorry, so many hard words, <laughs> and the mitochondria senescence by stable switch. So uh, it's a brief description of each of these open problems. And then some questions about, for example, well, maybe I'll just read like the beginning of it. Um, so aging has a surplus of excellent experimentalists, but a shortage of good modeling slash analysis slash theory. Less wrong in the adjacent community of a surplus of people with great modeling slash analysis skills, many with an outsider's interest in aging. So this post outlines some problems which could fit that skill set. I expect all of these could be solved to a reasonable degree of certainty with careful modeling and some beyond high school but not revolutionary statistics using already existing data. So this is sort of a call for that, which uh, since this was posted so recently, it was on um, November 7th. There's currently eight comments, but I'm keeping an eye on this one because I just really like the idea like of coordinating the community to see like which people, you know, can like... Do we do we rationalists have anybody who could just grab at this low hanging fruit here, and how could we like sort of coordinate or fund this? And I'm yeah I'm really hoping to see some movement in the comments here, but yeah so sort of the answer to or yeah you know the, the answer as far as we know um for Wukash 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 again probably like, like the end of your I'm name. not entirely sure and okay. also assuming that he's Polish yeah um for our pal woo mm-hmm. <laughs> or yeah um is we don't know like nobody knows right now um we know we know what the questions are and we can maybe make some predictions though how long we think that these problems will take so yeah i don't but, think uh, i don't think that they're hoping that we could find you know the right answer on google and deliver nah. the, the the answer i think problem. they're just saying what's the like that they're trying to see if we know what's the consensus and right. like the consensus is that different people who have different levels of background experience give different predictions but um and we, we didn't from what i from what i know and i want to get into a career in this field at some point that would be my ideal but it is looking pretty hopeful there is for a our generation i think it is certainly i mean it's hard because everyone's going to have that sort of like bias where they're thinking, oh, it's going to happen in my lifetime. Like, I don't think it'll happen in Ray Kurzweil's lifetime, despite him saying it, it will his whole <laughs> life, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it might. Uh, I hope it does. Um, but I think that, you know, some people are, it's easy to be motivated and not even notice the motivation that it'll happen now. Like, no one's thinking, probably 2150, right? No, I don't think anyone's saying <laughs> that because we don't know what the world will be like in 150. But... There, there is another avenue towards longevity that we ha- we didn't talk about much or at all yet, but there's not really much to say, which is, you know, we, we've, ta- we've talked about pr- uh, protecting and preserving our meat suits. Uh, if there, if you could move the the important moving parts of your brain to another substrate um, that is more reliable and doesn't deteriorate like a, like your body does, like I'm talking uploads and or robot bodies or something. Mm-hmm. Um, that is another way to live longer, mm-hmm. and there are separate projects working on that. And uh, the, I think the the problems there are obviously distinctly uh, different kinds of challenges than they are of like how do we keep our bodies working right? Yeah. Um, Bef- before we go like into the more esoteric stuff, can we do we want to talk briefly about NAD plus? Is that the drug you oh, take? Yeah. 
Uh, no, but the thing that I take uh, supports NAD plus production. Okay, let's, yeah, I'm glad you reminded me because that was on my short list of things to ask about. Okay, uh, well, the um, NAD plus is one of the primary things used in our mitochondria to power our bodies and our cells. Is that November Alpha Delta plus or is yes. that, okay, gotcha. NAD. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't sure if you were saying NAD plus. Oh, gotcha. I see, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah. It's, uh, and it decreases as we get older, and there was a lot of promising research in 2013 or so, I Some don't remember. Some new promising research just came out. Yes, uh, but this is when it first, like, hit the scene and everyone started talking about it, and uh, it was, it was like, and still is, sorry, uh, one of the most promising avenues for at least slowing down the impacts of aging and possibly getting uh, a few more decades out of things. Uh, and just, it, does this work on uh, polymerase tails or um... no? No, it, it works by uh, the cells not degenerating as quickly, uh, and it's it's still an ongoing um, ongoing research project. So I don't want to like overpromise anything or say that like this is definitely the thing, but it has a quite a number of uh, Nobel laureates and specifically Nobel laureates in physiology and uh, chemistry and such. Uh, saying that this looks like probably our best path forward right now, considering what we know. Um, and uh, the NAD plus levels, they, they uh, support the mitochondrial health, but um, you can't like supplement it directly. Uh, the best you can do is make a lot of the precursors uh, bioavailable in your body so that your body can have all the materials it needs to make more of that stuff. So uh, there are two supplements right now that are common precursors to make the NAD+. And that is kind of like what the big push has been um, lately among people who are excited about this kind of stuff is these particular supplements. And the one I am most familiar with and who has that has the most research behind it right now is called nicotin... Oh, how do you... Mm-hmm. Thank you. It's I don't know exactly how to pronounce or it. nicotinamide, but... uh, yeah. All right, I'm going to just put in the show notes to put in the... I'm going to put in my little... I take notes during the episode of what to put in the show notes. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to put that. I'm going to put supplements, and you guys. <laughs> I'm not going to try right. and spell that. Yeah, it's it's it. I would imagine it's pronounced nicotinamide riboside because that's how it's spelled. But I don't know. Maybe I'm pronouncing it not. I believe like that noob. is the pronunciation. Okay, uh, and that is the main one that has been uh, people have been supplementing with for quite a number of years. It is uh, can go go into your cells pretty easily through cell walls, and there be, from there be. Uh, turned into NAD plus uh, problem is really it's more of a you won't know until decades down the line if this has actually helped slow aging by some percentage so it's it's a hard thing to measure there have been a lot of tests uh, both with cell cultures and test tubes and on mice which are very promising and the few human trials have been most of them have been positive I mean it, like you said it's if, if this thing was invented 15 years ago or seven years ago mm-hmm. we're not going to have the data on how it works in humans yet but Mice don't live that long. Yeah. So how much did this? How much did this improve uh, mice lifespans? A fair bit, but the problem with mice and with all animals in general is that they are, well, they're different from humans. Uh, yeah, <laughs> the problem with mice is they're not people. <laughs> yes. Data doesn't transfer neatly. Like but, it's, we found a lot of ways that we can um, increase mouse lifespans ridiculously long. I want to say like nine times as long, mm-hmm. but like they don't work in humans because mice are, there, there's some systems they have that are simpler than ours. Interestingly, and I don't, structured differently. I don't remember where exactly I read this, but 
almost all animals have a like the smaller an animal is generally the faster its heartbeat is and you know i think i know where you heard this and i think it's bullshit i think you heard this from was it david brin who joined you on the immortality panel maybe where all animals have more or less the same number of billion heartbeats heartbeats. yeah was it a billion that's the only place i've heard it Uh uh-huh and that sounds made up no i don't know if it's i don't know if it's true or not but it sounds too neat to be made up or too, too neat to be true right 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 so I'm not buying the fact that a mouse with an average lifespan of, or a guinea pig with an average lifespan of five years has a billion heartbeats. It might. Yeah. I mean, let's uh, Google really quick. How long, how fast is the guinea pig's heart rate? From what I've read, well, not from what I've read, from what I Googled right now, that mammals at least all get about a billion heartbeats per lifetime. Okay. Well, I walk back on, was it David Brin that was on that panel with you? It was David Brin. Yeah. I apologize, David, for putting you in my, this is obviously bullshit list person. Um, uh, I, don't, I doubt it. I don't think he's listening. August but. 1st, 2019. Um, Okay. And yeah, there's a nature article that says about a billion. So, I mean, but that sounds kind of like if you can work out and get your heart, your you know, good cardio and get your resting heart rate down to 60, mm. then then you're going to live, you know, like, well, what, a third lo- or 20% longer than someone's resting heart rate is 80? Well, no, here's the thing. Um, the exception to that is humans. <laughs> humans have significantly <laughs> more than a billion heartbeats. And uh, well, that makes sense because a billion would be about 33 years if you're if your resting heart rate is about 60. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, the, the, there's about 33 billion seconds or about a billion seconds every 33 years. Oh, so that's cool to know. If your if your heart rate is a ballpark 60, then we're, we're crushing that number by people regularly hitting their nineties. Yeah. And, and that, that's with occasional spikes in their heart rate, you know? Yeah, and there's one some... of the, one of the, um, uh, I'm going to get, get the side eye from Wes here for Evo psych because, uh, one of the, uh, ideas is that humans, a lot of our comparative advantage comes from having knowledge and the ability to use that knowledge. And that just basically increases as we get older, right up until we start actually hitting, you know, senescence and dementia. But so uh, humans are already optimized to exploit everything easily biological available to make us live as long as possible, which is why like things like extreme calorie restriction will more than two and a half times expand a mouse's lifespan. Uh, whereas with humans, it does almost not. like those, those, pathways may already be unlocked in humans to get us where we are at this point there is um heart rate variability which does correlate to a lot of um health and like mental health stress type things that can increase longevity there's actually this one that i've been using the elite hrv monitor um which has an app paired with it where yeah the heart rate variability um i thought you said hiv it gives you a double checked gives you a comprehensive, non-invasive snapshot of your autonomic nervous system, which is profoundly involved in your physical and mental functioning. And um, that's different, though, than the having a certain number of heartbeats per time, which all I can find is there was a, uh, there's a Danish study um, that was in the journal BMJ Heart that did show that... Uh, and also, it's not like... It would be amazing, wouldn't that? That, just, like, that, that would be proof yeah. of intelligent design if a billion heartbeats. <laughs> everyone that, just there dropped. There is dead. some relationship between heart rate and overall life expectancy, and that makes sense. I think that lower heart rate, lower resting heart rate within healthy bounds, is associated with good cardiovascular health, which is yeah, probably associated with longevity. Higher pulses correlated with a greater chance of dying. But uh, there's like the the more you know, breaking down the complications of the yeah, it's it's more complicated than just how many heartbeats. But that is why, and lots of animal studies don't necessarily translate over to humans. It's like beats because per minute. Humans already have unlocked, possibly, it is theorized, have unlocked a lot of things that other animals haven't. So things that work on them may not work on us because we've already got that going for us. Hmm. So um, yeah, the but NR is the 
the the supplement NR as uh, what it's usually abbreviated at nicotinamide ribos that that nicotinamide one nicotinamide ribicide thank you is the is the one that uh, people have been using a lot of people have been using um, in hopes that it'll work there's a sexy new kid on the block uh, which is N M N uh, is the abbreviation for Ooh, it. more letters yes right um, do you do you have the yeah, that's um, nicotinamide mononucleotide. Thank you. And that is what, once the uh, NR is in your cells, it, it gets combined into the NMN, and then that uh, is used to make NAD+, uh, which runs the mitochondria, or which helps fuel the mitochondrial reaction anyway. Mitochondria uh, is the powerhouse of the cell. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the thing is, um, in animal studies, the NMN can't get through the cell barrier, so your body first has to break it down into NR, then the NR goes through the cell, then it's made into M&M again. And, M&M. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so a lot of people thought that just supplementing NMN directly is doesn't really particularly matter because your body's going to have to break it down into NR anyway. That's that's what I'm hearing from just everything I've heard so far. That sounds like it makes sense. I yes. Think it takes more sense to take the more bioavailable version. Right. Or the, the one that's further down the chain already, like the same way that um, adrafinil is a prodrug for modafinil, but you have to take much higher doses of adrafinil to get, and you don't really get anywhere near the same effects. But there are two things. Uh, the first is that NMN has uh, a phosphate molecule with it that NR does not have. That has to be somehow um, brought in through your body. So maybe eat a lot more bananas or something. Uh, whereas if you took the <laughs> NMN, they would have the phosphate in there already and they would break it down and be there and ready to use. Um, so which one's better? That, I don't know. Like I said, this is the sexy new yeah. kid on the block. Also, there's a study that suggests that intestinal lining in humans might be able to get the NMN directly through the cell barrier. But then there was another study that said, eh, we're not so sure about that. Plus, it might be only in the intestines. So, But, but it seems like we're fairly confident that MNR mm-hmm. uh might work that 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 has more grounding currently than the, the it's been around longer and it's been it's studied been a lot more studied so more. yes that so, is why that is more confident so i'm gonna go home and buy that one it's me personally yeah yeah okay. i mean yeah it, it is up to you which one you want to buy either one should get you there eventually uh i like i said the nr has more research behind it so that one is probably the better bet um also the uh, nr is significantly cheaper uh, it's about uh, three times as much to get the NMN. So, and it's not like a lot, a lot, but it adds up over the course of a lifetime. I what, think. What's it cost a month? About fifty dollars for the NMN, whereas the NR you can get for twenty-ish. Oh, good. Okay, I was gonna say. I mean, fifty bucks wouldn't make or break the bank, but it would be annoying. Twenty bucks is a couple couples of you know. That's like one yeah. going out to dinner, right? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, so this is this is how I kind of do my 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 literal uh, budgeting on these sorts of things, like. My membership, the Chronics Institute, is now paid off, in, or I've, I got a life membership, but back when I was paying month to month, cost four bucks less a month than my Netflix subscription. And even though there's pessimistically a 1% chance, optimistically a 50% chance of it working or something, the, the expected benefit of that is way higher than me having Netflix. Yeah. And so why would I spend, why would I not be willing to spend less than I do on Netflix on it? Yeah. Um, you know, over the over the course of the next five years, I'll probably spend more on Netflix and Hulu than I than I will on my lifetime membership for Cryonics. Yeah, and so um, I'm not sure if you've heard of Doctor Sinclair. He was mentioned in the email, but he's another one of the um, aging research guys. I'll actually post and yeah, like quoted alongside Aubrey de Grey. Yeah, I'll post a blog of his that where he talks about this specific thing, 
and basically everything I said just now comes from his talking points about it. Uh, but of note, he takes NMN and not NR. Yeah, I was going to say... Um, and so he at least thinks it's better. Provide a little bit of free advertisement, but Nootropics Depot, um, who is a very good company, has nicotinamide mononucleotide tablets for twenty six ninety nine a bottle. For how many? For 30. So uh, okay. I believe that's a month's worth. Yeah, yeah. Do they have the NR there for substantially less as well? Do they? Well, let me not quote that. Um, All I know is that I was bummed when they stopped selling Adrafinil pills. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, they did? I th- well, I think so. I know that they sold the powder for a while. Oh, no, maybe they still sell it. I just got annoyed because it's like... <laughs> it's like 35 bucks for 30 of them and i like with you were just saying it's like i barely notice i get more benefit out of a quarter of a modafinil pill than i do a 300 milligram pill of adrafinil yeah they only have the nn and the nmn the the nucleotide um and based on what i don't know um research that i've done like on and off i've been following this too and I am convinced that the, I, I, or like, I, I don't know, my, my suspicion, I'm not going to say I'm convinced by like, well, I don't know, the, uh, I'm updating more in the direction that the NMN is more effective, uh, and I've been taking the Nootropics Depot one. I had actually, back when um, the only people selling it were Elysium, uh, I had like made a deal that I was going to start taking it at 35 because that seemed like kind of expensive. I think there's just the one that's like $50 or more. Yeah. Um. And it comes in the fancy bottle. Yeah, but then the Trevix Depot got it for cheaper, and I was like, yeah, heck. Seems like, yeah. why not? If I'm going to be taking... And the uh, Charlie, drugs anyway. who you know, does a fair bit of research on this sort of stuff, and she also oh, takes yeah. NMN. Actually, the so. notes that I was just referencing were part of our conversation. Oh, nice. <laughs> cool. And, uh, yeah, now Charlie takes the NMN, and... Uh, it depends on how conservative you are. I think I'm going to stick with the... They're both going to provide benefit. It's just yes. One might be, like, slightly better. Um, and there's no way for like a doctor to look at a healthy human and be like they're 90% within the age range of 39 to 41, right? No, especially because that varies so much between individual humans. That sucks because then that, that would, people... that would, that would, you've been taking this for five years, right? Uh, more than that. I think it's been six, six and a half. So like if you were biologically exactly 38 or something, that would be so <laughs> nice to know. Yeah. There is. Elysium is doing a clinical trial. Um they started it in January, so it's been going for about a year now. Um, yeah, hopefully we'll see some results from that, but I don't know how long it's going to go. I'm looking at the article, but it does not say the duration. Okay, I've got the clinicaltrials.gov identifier, though, so we can link to that, too, if somebody wants to dig through it. <laughs> Excellent. You can find out more info. You could probably just find out info about the like study design, though, because they're not going to publish all their details on... So. I don't know really what else much to say here other than I I wish we were experts and could have given a more like technical technical deep dive. The episode description slash website for this episode will have tons of links to further reading and all these cool drugs that we're talking about. And if anyone is an expert and wants to talk about it, I'd be super interested in having them on. So If anybody's in the field and knows anybody that can help me get in the field, Perfect. <laughs> email me. <laughs> I would say to recap, make sure you get at least two hours of good exercise a, a week. Uh, make sure you get as much sleep as is needed for your body to feel rested. Uh, have a social life of some kind, even <laughs> in coronavirus times. Join the Rationalist Singing thing. Yeah. Web app that yeah. somebody made. Yeah. Uh, Link to it. Uh, and maybe supplement with NR. Yeah, I mean, that seems like the best you can do. Oh, I guess also moving away from polluted areas. 
Yes. Oh, uh, yes. That we, can help. We a forgot lot. to mention that. Yeah. Managing your stress can help too. Stre- mm-hmm. Low stress like is all, good. All the things. Pollution is you know. terrible for your brain yeah. and your longevity as a whole for your healthy brain. Cars are bad for you. Mm-hmm. Cars? Yeah. I mean, in the car, I probably don't consume that much exhaust. Right? No, I'm talking about just car accident risk. Oh, yeah, it's absolutely. Like, yeah, I was we hoping have that I... feedback about that that I wanted to touch on before okay. we finish the episode. I, I was hoping that when I moved here, I'd be able to like sell my car and just take the trains. I was like, yeah, there's a train system in Denver. This is great. And then no, like after there's being quote, here a bit, a I was system. like, uh, it's not very, it's not very practical. It's better than anything in Texas, but yeah. it's not saying much. I can't it's, use it day to day to like, it's great. without it being ridiculous. It's great if you work downtown or in the Denver Tech Center yep. and right. you don't want to drive there. That's about the extent of it. So yeah. All right, so we had some feedback on car stuff, you said. Yes, we did have a quick feedback that I wanted to hit. Um, when we were talking about the, uh, I think it was just last episode, about the high cost of getting a um, driver's license in Sweden, uh, it turns out that their accident rate is quite a bit lower, like I think a third of the U.S. rate, or traffic fatality rate huh. per mile driven anyway. And so um, I guess... That was a victory ha from Jace. Yes, yes. <laughs> I, quiet little ha. I, 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 <laughs> like too polite to just laugh and point at him. Yeah, no, I, I would feel bad about doing that. No, no, no. I mean, when I learned that, I found that was like, I was like, okay, maybe this is like really justified and a good idea because, wow, that's a big deal. But literally the same guy who wrote to us and was complaining about how much it costs in Sweden um, said that uh, he doesn't think it's necessarily worth it. He said the cost is really? too damn high. Lots of jobs require a license, and it's basically an anti-economic mobility thing. People don't die as much. Yeah. But that said, like, if you need a car to get to work, but it costs $4,000 to get your license, that would kind of, like, really fuck a lot of people, right? Yeah, so, I'm not saying it's a, it's great. Yeah, like, it seems like there's trade-offs. But it, it's hard for you to put Utilons on, like, things, you know, preventing people from dying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everyone, but the money but, also prevents people from dying. Like, yeah. If you have like the money is, to go to a doctor. And... Can you put the Utilons in dollar amounts of how many like lives are saved versus how much like inconvenience the amount of money and time? The, like, the annoying that, that part really hard of car death is that it's not just you who, who you're at risk, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's whoever you hit. Yeah. Or whoever and, hits you. Well, yeah, exactly. Well, so like if, I mean, I could be doing everything right and then some dipshit you know, is drunk, crosses the, the median on the highway and slams into me at a combined you know, 160 miles an hour, right? Yeah. So, like, it's... That's that's the bummer. Well, like, that, to me, that's that's the only time I, I, I used to get angry when driving. I delivered pizzas through college, and then I realized <laughs> that the difference between, like, rage driving to a place and, like, just chilling was, like, three minutes per yep. trip. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so I was like, you know what? I'm going to just take it easy on the road all the time forever now. And I almost exclusively do. The only time and I get... I get stressed, so I, you get to live longer. Exactly. Yeah. The only time <laughs> I get annoyed to the point where I will, like, uh, express it or even have, like, my basically my pulse change on the road is when someone does something dangerous. Yeah. If they're going to be stupid... Like, and I, you know, I was driving to Fort Collins yesterday. It's a 70-mile drive. Somebody, the left lane over, 10 car lengths ahead, cuts off this big white truck... And without signaling, and I just kind of point and like, look at that idiot. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it all worked out fine. If they had crashed, it would have been, my reaction would have been different. But when people do things that are risky to me and other people, but mainly like if, I'd, if I don't see it, it doesn't get my blood going. But 
that's when I get mad. Yeah. And I'm like, you almost fucking killed me, you inconsiderate piece of shit. mad on behalf of shit. other people. Like, if I'm on the highway and I see somebody cut somebody else off, I'm like, ah, oh, dick. <laughs> yeah, I, I, and I probably say it, but it doesn't, like, it doesn't stress me out, really. But, I, like, I, and I'm not an angry person, and I'm not, like, a let's call people names person, but even just, like, imagine the situation, I'm sitting there like, motherfucker. Yeah. Because there's so much responsibility. Yeah. yeah. And it, it, it's, because, again, it's not just you. We need the self-driving car future. Where uh, everyone can yeah. have full mobility and not kill each other. It's this just, ha- we're, we're just a lot really like bad at long-term. COVID. <laughs> we're bad at long-term calculus. That's why I like, don't think we should be driving. It's somebody being late for work one day like is not an adequate like, you know, risk to measure against dying or killing somebody else. Yeah. Well, I mean, we certainly shouldn't if there's other options. And it's like, oh man, I'm going to be late to the birthday party. Yeah. Or like, and like, it just seems like such a, you know. Well, what got me was his comment saying that it's an anti-economic mobility thing because like, that's a big deal. That'll impact GDP if like, you don't have the, the option to change to a better job because you don't have the mobility needed to like go to a different part of town. Mm-hmm. That. The difference between longevity now and longevity 20, 50 years ago is that we have a lot more wealth um, and more productivity now. So less people need to be working in the coal mines and the factories. And those people can instead be working on, you know, high tech stuff or becoming researchers or something. Like GDP really is important for everyone's lives and and progress to continue progressing so yeah i don't disagree yeah, so that's a different thing like how many people are we willing to trade off dying in car accidents to get you know another half a percent of gdp and maybe get to longevity escape velocity a decade sooner i don't know if someone wants to try to do that math feel free yeah and <laughs> how many people and friends did we lose along the way at the very least i'm confident that where the needle is pointing now is not the optimal position it's definitely like, too lax in the u.s well no i mean just like the like you mentioned, I, oh, I can't be a minute late to work. Well, like a lot of people can't because they'll get fired because yep. they've got stupid jobs. Like that norm should change. Be like, I did sorry, get fired from a job, you know, for being late like five minutes. Yeah, wow, a couple of times. And it's like, it's like it's just like, oh, you need three write-ups. That the woman just hated me and wanted to get rid of me, so she was like three minutes late, and I was just like, jeez. And those, those people <laughs> suck, but those, that's a lot of people's jobs. So like, you know, if if there's an accident on the way to work and I need to, you know, speed the rest of the way to get there on time, a lot of people are in that position, right? Um, so that's definitely, so some norms about just like society needs to change around that and stuff, but you, you know. also probably shouldn't have gotten your license when you said that you, you didn't stop at a single stop sign on your test. Yeah. I, I guess apparently I rolled oh. on all of them. Yeah. And so like, and what's so funny the, is, it's is, a little too lax here. Well, and, and my wife had a similar situation where, um, I can't remember exactly what she did. She said something about like. I think there actually may have been a dog on the road or something, and she swerved erratically around it, you know, because mm-hmm. the first time you almost hit an animal is terrifying, right? Mm-hmm. And she still passed or something, right? And, like, but her, her handling of that didn't result in anyone's injury, but it was reckless or something. I, I can't remember the specifics. So when she got back to the DMV and they're like, yep, you passed, and she's like, wait, really? Mm-hmm. She was looking at somebody who was upset, and that person didn't pass. And she's like, what did you do to fail? <laughs> like, I, I can't remember what, again, Rachel did, but it was just like... If apparently it's really hard to fail and somebody did, so yeah. it should be harder. I do agree. You should, you know, like everyone. But probably not quite to the point of right. Two thousand dollars of training before you can get this yeah, license. Yeah, maybe like if there's 
wonder, does it have to be that expensive? Like, can they just make the test harder? I mean, I think that's why you need the $2,000 of training, because the test is... No, you could just drive with your parents more. Yeah, like, right now, maybe. You, you get... You, like, My, the way that the way that it worked for me, anyway, is you get your, uh, yeah, your learner's permit. Get it. Yeah. And then... Well, but the way I was going to say it worked with me is then your parents will drive with you for a dozen hours and then let you make up the other hundred and just write them down and so say you did them, my right? my dad tried to teach me to drive in, like, his stick shift Jeep, which was terrible, and he was so anxious that he, like, wouldn't let go of the little hang hangy thing above the door <laughs> and was yelling, oh, my God, you almost hit that. So, like, I, yeah. and then my mom is a terrible driver, so she taught me how to drive incorrectly. Oh. On my driver's test, I actually also passed because I, I parallel parked incorrectly, and, like, the guy was just like, ah, uh, okay, where'd you learn that? It was like, my mom taught me. He's like, why don't you try pulling out? And then why don't you do it? That? And he talks me through the correct way of doing it. So I did it right. And he's like, okay, I guess you pass. Don't, <laughs> don't do it that way. That was dumb. Yeah. I don't know what the hell your mom was thinking. I was just like, I know, right? Like, <laughs> My dad taught me to drive a stick on like one of his coworkers, like, 70 it was it was a like the co-worker eat the transmission well, grinding well what was fun is like this thing was like a some 70s truck and it uh. was it was definitely a, already a junker like it had i want to say 15 degrees of play on the wheel where like you had to turn the wheel just like that had no response for several degrees before it even catch and so wow. like straight so we practiced in a field yeah like, nice. a, like a a gravelly field in the middle of nowhere mm-hmm. and he's like we're practicing on this because you can't hurt this car mm-hmm. so stalling it and rocking it back and forth was totally fine on it can't hurt the car can't hurt the the field, field. right i mean you can you, hurt the grass, you also can't tip this this vehicle so go <laughs> yeah. nuts you're fine yeah, I unfortunately have a couple of friends who just, like, never learned to drive and don't have anyone to, like, I've been the person offering to be like, hey, if you ever want to, like, go drive some donuts around in a Walmart parking lot, hmm. get your license, could don't, do that. Don't do it in Walmart. Go somewhere else. There's usually better vacant areas. Well, you too. know what I mean. <laughs> oh, no, yeah. The, it was the first large parking lot that came to mind, but yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm just thinking, like, because I think that while practicing donuts is probably reckless, I did also a driving lesson with my dad of, hey, here's how to drift in the snow. Right, And do so that. this will... and. Yes, while it will be fun because now you can show your friends how to, how to drift. The important thing is like now the car's out of control mm-hmm. and now you know what that feels like and here's how we're going to get out of it. Okay. And so now when my car goes out of control in the snow as it does reliably yeah, every year, I don't panic. I don't slam on the gas. I don't slam on the brakes. I find the find a way to try and get traction and occasionally hit a curb. But that you know right. happens once every four years, right, on average or something. So point is, is that like the way to get good at it is to practice the basic shit of just how cars work, how roads work, all that. But then... Do some deliberate, careful practice under bad conditions. Mm-hmm. You know, the first time it's raining a lot out and there's the opportunity and you haven't done it before, go with your friend and say, hey, we're going to go drive in the rain when you can't see and the roads are slippery. Like, practice. Practice, practice, practice. And that is probably generalizable for a lot of stuff. That's why I hit the point so hard. All right. All righty. Uh, shall we thank our patron? Yes. Who's I got this week. Wait, can I do a bit? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I just want to like be like, this episode brought to you by me. Hey, guys, let's talk about me. No, let's Wait, not. What? Let's talk about this this person. Oh, okay, okay, cool. <laughs> okay, yeah. Do we want to? Uh, I was time just reminded in? of the bads of ads again last time, which yeah. was like. I mean, I almost want to go in and actually beep out the word. The the, the I know, company right? That don't give said, them any. So no one gets anything. Don't. Actually, this no. episode wouldn't be possible without Dental Person, which is an awesome internet <laughs> which handle. Is a human. And yes, presumably a person in the dental industry or something. Um, anyway, dental person is the our yeah. So we tried to put together a little sketch where we're going to pretend like we had a sponsor. <laughs> I don't but know we don't. I'm not sure that went that well. Maybe we should cut that. <laughs> we'll we'll see if it makes it through. It. The, we'll, we'll see if it makes it through the because like I it'll could just be for imagine patrons only. <laughs> now I could just imagine like somebody coming across. Oh no! Oh, that just reminded me of uh, Phoenix was telling me about a podcast where somebody tried to put some fake advertisements in their thing, mm-hmm. and they were actually funny like 
advertisements that had to do with the like there was like three of them they're like this this thing brought to you and they did a little joke each time but like what happened was the people listening to it weren't used to advertisements and like phoenix had the same uh, thing where as soon as they started to like do the spiel they just skip 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 oh. and i'm like man why are there so many advertisements that skip 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 and right. they, they didn't even know that they were funny jokes they just automatically were like no ads the, the right way to do it was how we we've got worm did it which is they did commercials for fugly bob's oh, burger yeah. shack which was like i think a place actually mentioned in the book at one point mm. and they just like pretended like it was commercials but like it was like and, the very beginning that was where like taylor met up with everybody when they were interviewing her to be a super villain and then like they were that was really great because scott was just like what would i wonder what's going on with fugly bobs right now <laughs> like with with the merchants in town and like the the slaughterhouse nine come in and like it's so all the commercials would be like and things are pretty terrible right now but uh, we're still open it was yeah. stuff like that oh god is that leviathan <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if Welcome to Night Vale, when they did their commercials, they, they were like always real companies, but it was not a real commercial. I think they were actually sponsored by any of them because they no. were just weird, surreal shit about how like Nike sneakers, they make you float upside down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But like the thing is, if if a, corpor- if a corporation was to sponsor Welcome to Night Vale, I could see them being like, okay, we'll agree to sponsor you, yeah, but it- only if we can say anything we want and just attach your name to it. Yeah. I mean... If a advertising company was smart, that seems like a win-win. Absolutely. I found there's like there's a few people that manage to make advertisements not terrible. I tend to like the McElroy brothers, and I think they usually do funny enough like gags about the ads. Um, but I've been listening to this YouTuber Wheezy Waiter, who like thanks Gen X. I like a YouTuber now. <laughs> <laughs> Watching that like a TV show now, but like he did a ad for Blinkist that was in the middle of. Um, he, like one of his things that he, he and his wife try things and that they have the series why do people like x and they were doing why do people like meal planning and in the middle of it he's like okay so now i'm going to give you a you know ad for our sponsor blinkist but also i'm going to try to do as many food puns in the, over the course of this ad as possible so mm. it stays in line with our cooking thing and it was just like the the, the pun counter was going like once a second like That's somehow hilarious. he was managing to put he, he put like 47 like food puns into this wow. <laughs> there, there are definitely ways to make it less annoying but uh make no mistake our real sponsor this this episode yes. is dental person thank you so much for your support and everybody who helps keeps the lights on and lets us pay for hosting bills equipment and, and a little extra for us yeah, at the end of the day, um, for the most part, you know, like it goes, I used it to buy the uh, the mic I use at home for We Want More, um, cool. you know, so it's it's uh, it's it's appreciated. Thank you. You guys yeah. all rock. Yeah, I want to shout out to um, Luke, somebody else has to say that. <laughs> oh, Wukash? Yeah, w- Wukash as well, who uh, is also a patron of ours yeah. and gave us our topic. Wukash, thank you for both your patronage and the topic. Dental person, uh, you are the reason that all the rest of our audience didn't have to listen to any ads today. So <laughs> And maybe why they have Any real teeth. ads. Any real ads, yes. And maybe why some of them have good teeth. <laughs> nice. Okay, uh, thank you, everybody. We'll see you again in two weeks. Yeah, awesome. Good night, everybody. Bye.